Welcome to the Viking Psychology Podcast, where today we embark on a journey into the minds of warriors returning from the battlefield to navigate the challenges of fitting in to a world that often seems alien. In ancient times, soldiers were celebrated as guardians, you know, the monsters protecting the perfect society. Today, our warriors are not just invited, but expected to live amongst those they protect. Facing the daunting task of fitting into a world they aren't accustomed to. Today's episode is special. We are exploring this journey through the lens of five Canadian badass veterans. Get ready to strap in because we're about to jump into the war-torn minds of these warriors. Grab a seat, relax, and let's get into this. dive into this let's let's set the scene transitioning from the combat to home is no small feat it's like coming home after a regular job it's a culture shock it's a systemic shift it is the one of the most common stresses of military life you leave you adapt you change you survive but when society expects you just to turn it off it's like trying to silence the echoes of war lingering in your mind Let's just do a quick round table and uh, everybody just introduce yourselves. We'll start off here with Rob. Rob. Hey, everybody. Uh, my name's Rob. I did 11 and a half years in the, the Canadian Armed Forces, uh, eight of those being with 2PPCLI. And then the last three and a half were with uh, 442 Squadron as an AVS tech apprentice. Um, I got out May of 2022. And just finished my Foundations of Welding course. So I'm going to be a welder in my post-military career. Nice. Burr? Hi, I'm... Hey, guys. I'm Eric. Oh. Where was that? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Eric. All right. Check. Hi, I'm Eric. I'm uh, currently an active member in the RCAF, working for 442 Squadron as a flight engineer on... The Cormorant Search and Rescue Helicopter. Uh, I've been serving for eight, currently eight years now, uh, and five of that I was, uh, uh, to start, I was an ABS technician, then I transitioned over to a flight engineer. Nice. Welcome. Burke? Sorry about that earlier. Hi, guys. Burke, uh, I served 11 years, uh, 10 of it with the Dragoons uh, from 2007 until 2018. I got out uh, April 2018. Uh, been transitioning for the last six years it's been hard uh, i tried to do the school thing last year but um at the right time in my life uh, i did a welding course as well love it it's uh the horse blinders the whole danger thing i, I love it it's it's amazing therapy but um uh you know um yeah that, that's about it let's yeah right on <laughs> nate my name is Nate. Uh, I started putting on the uniform back in 95. Um, I got out in 2012, so I've been a peacekeeper, peacemaker, and a warfighter. Uh, candlestick maker, lamplighter. I know that's not, it's, it's a vi very diverse world that we get into when we get into Canadian Forces, so just one trade doesn't really label what we are during our whole career. So... For me, um, many, many hats. And then the last few years, well, 10 years since I retired, 
medically. Uh, I've been uh, a model. I've worked in marketing. I've worked in um, private investigation. I've worked in um, raising funds for human trafficking rescues and doing some other crisis awareness things and cool guy action stuff just to try to stay relevant in the world. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that's me. I served in the light infantry, Patricia's, who up, you know, Rickadam, <laughs> Rickadoodam. Uh, so something like that anyways. But uh, yeah, now I'm happy to be on this show because uh, what other brighter things do you have to do in your day than to be on this podcast? Nice. All right, we're going to kick this off now. So the School of Hard Knocks teaches us to accept the, per the present moment, even when it's tough. Picture this. You're in the middle of thick of it, bullets flying, explosions shaking the ground, and suddenly it's over. You're back home, but the war inside your head rages on. How do you accept your reality? So vast, like so vastly different, like the battlefield, the home field. Um, so we're going to start with Nate. Nate's going to take us through kind of some of the coping mechanisms, some of the things that he's learned over his time for that transition period. Right? So the first thing I want to, I want to start off with is, is paint this picture that you, you, you leave civilian life and you become a soldier. You go through your basic training, your indoctrination, uh, combat arms, you go through again, remember I'm, I'm dated back in the nineties here. <laughs> So you leave civilian world, everything's all neon colors and funky and cool and fresh and shooters and bar life and clubbing and, you know, Candyman and Barbie girl. Then it's, you know, you leave the Spice Girls behind and you start going through the, the indoctrination of these French people that you're going through Saint-Jean with and you're just there and your world is shocked. And, you know, um, I want to make this point very clear. I, when I left civilian world, I left the farm, jumped on a plane showed up in Quebec, sat there, they gave us a bunch of paperwork, signed our lives away, it was all good. And the mass corporal goes, okay, this piece of paper, put all your banking information on it. And I put my hand up and he goes, what is it? And I said, I don't have a bank account. And he goes, don't worry about it, we'll get you one. Hand goes up again, he goes, what is it? And I said, um, I don't have any money. And he goes, shakes his head, a little frustrated. And I'm thinking there's something wrong between the translation of English and French. And he goes, well, where do you want your pay to go? Hand goes back up. He goes, what? And I said, I don't have a job. Okay. So that was my mindset getting into the army. I was getting free food. I got to wear the uniform, run around with guns. It was like camping with guns. And that was it. That's all I cared about. Okay, so that was my mindset going into this, this party. So <laughs> he got me a bank account. I realized I was getting paid. I was like, no shit. So <laughs> got my paycheck, got it sorted out, go through all that. Then you get to battle school. And now you're not just a basic pri uh, private. You're, you're a war machine. You are the emphasis and epitome of death and destruction. You're saying to yourself every day when they you know, wake you up in a, in a class, you're like, Close with to destroy the enemy. Whoa, right? That's your mindset. So then you go from that and you do that for a bunch of years and da, 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 da. And you start to, you know, build little things around you. You have your little hobbies. Mine was biathlon and, and my kids. And you have that outside world. But the army keeps reminding you, if we wanted you to have a family, we would have given you one. So you're like, you're torn, right? Like, oh, okay, whatever. And then you start going towards the special forces route. Or you start doing this route and you're like, ah. And then all of a sudden, bam. 
you're up for a promotion and they're like, oh no, your medical's expired. So you run down to the unit medical station. They tell you to go to the base hospital. The doctor comes in with a file and says, do you like being in the infantry? And you're like, oh, I do. And she goes, do you like being in the army? And you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I love it. I love being in the army. <sighs> Are you sure you like being in the military? And you're like, yeah, this is where I get my paychecks that they've been giving me. This is great. I get free underwear and socks. And she goes, yeah, no, you have this many injuries that you shouldn't even be functioning anymore. So we're going to release you in 30 days. So now all of a sudden you've come to a full stop. It's that's the picture I want to paint. Okay. So I want to take that and then we're going to come back and I can see some nods already with agreement and certain things. You go on your first deployment you're excited you work for like a year or a year and a half to get ready for the six months overseas right it's like the most important thing in your world and you're balancing and scheduling everything around it so you can go do this job because everybody's told you you have to do this job you know to get that check in the box and feel like it and you join the military to travel to do this this was your whole purpose right you spend all that time going through basic and battle school and training and sacrificing time and getting up at four stupid dark buffalo to, you know, five days later, finally going back to bed. And this is your purpose. This is your whole energy. When you ramp that high up and all of a sudden you, you come back on the plane and they're like, hey, you just left the war zone. We're going to let you go drink your faces off for four days. Okay, to decompress so you can expand back into this miraculous superhero that you were at home being super dad and super husband and whatever. But it's going to take you four days of drinking and rappelling off the top of hotel buildings and stealing scooters <laughs> and doing all this stupid shit. It's not fully decompressing. All you're doing is taking a depressant and yeah, as we all take a drink, you know, so. We're taking that stuff and we're, we're cramming that energy into a different pocket because you know what we do in the military? We do it better than any other industry in the world. Compartmentalize. Mm -hmm. We take that shit and we put it in a freaking sock drawer and we, and we roll that sock up. So every time we pick that sock up and look at it, it smiles at us because the fold is the right way because that's how we've been trained. Okay. Right. We all, you know what I'm talking about? Yep. Basic training. That sock. And we put our name on it, you know, our last four and our, 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 our last three. First, first four and last three. Sorry, it's been a while. I'm dyslexic. But we put it on there. We, we know that's our stuff when we leave it there, but we never deal with it. So for me, when I would come back um, every day when I was in third, three VP, there was a tree on base. And I'd walk past that tree twice a day on my way to work and my way home from work because I lived on base. And I would touch that tree and I touch one side of it and I tell my brain, activate work mode. Okay. It sounds stupid, but boys, it was a game changer for me because home was safe there. Okay. I didn't have pictures in my pocket or anything like that. There was no talismans. I literally switched on that beast mode, went to work, did my stuff, dealt with everything there. And at the end of the day, no matter what time it was, I touched the tree on the other side. Now, the people that owned the house or lived in the house that I was touching the tree, I thought it was a little awkward because it was by their bedroom window. Maybe that was helpful. I don't know. I'm just kidding. But I touched that tree and I'd walk <laughs> home and it was good. 
The other thing I did was I got dressed at work and I changed into PT strip to go home. I did not wear my uniform home. That was what was helpful to me at the time. And when I put my uniform on, I don't know if it's like you guys or not, I felt like I was in the Justice League headquarters or the Avengers Tower, whatever nerdy thing you go with. I go with Justice League because I'm a Green Lantern fan. It felt like I was suiting up. It felt like that was my armor. That was me. That was the real me being released into the world of who I truly was. Because me as a dad was different. My primal instinct to defend my kids and my wife, my spouse, was different than that. I am a warrior who's going to die for my country if called upon today. There's two different people, okay? And on that note of the two differences, we have two wolves inside us, okay? If we, if we actually embrace the, the Vikingness and, and the psychology of it is we have two wolves, okay? And when I say we have two wolves, there's two sides to a man. And ideally, you want to be a destructive monster that is capable of burning down anything and everything that gets in the way of his desires. But you also have to be able to control that. If you can't control that, then you're not truly a man, okay? You're not what the, the world needs of a man. If you don't have that ability to be destructive, then you are just a weak person who hasn't balanced himself out. And on that same note, before I get, you know, whatever, and I love this conversation, is you can train yourself to balance it out. You can go from being that docile individual who can't defend themselves to being that other one. So you have the capability. So now that I've painted that picture, when I got medically released, it was a rough, rough few years. Like I got released. So my 20s, basically, it was all military lifestyle. Okay. And it was go, 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 go. And I made it high in the ranks and I was kicking ass and I had awesome kids. My thirties hurt like a kick in the, the junk. Like the frozen muckluck had been frozen with 50 years of hatred in it. I had a horrible divorce. I got alienated from my kids. So a custody battle that was horrific. Uh, my military support, because I was in two RCR at the time, um, was toxic. It, it wasn't support. It was, we're done with you, go away, right? And um, I'm, I'm not lamenting or like, ooh, it's, it's, these are facts. This is truly what happened. My mug out was, he's leaving for higher education. That was a 30 second speech for me after so many years in the military. And it was like, oh, okay, cool. You guys don't want me off, I go. So for me, transitioning was very hard. I had no purpose. My purpose was done. And when I hear you guys talk about your welding courses and education and stuff, um, my thirties hurt so bad, but I was in so much pain that I was like, okay, I need to find a purpose. Like, this is ridiculous. Guys that were going through similar things were committing suicide. And it was, it was rough. Like my friends were, what do the kids call it? Unaliving themselves or whatever they go with. And it was happening on such a great scale that I was literally like, holy shit, I'm next. I'm, and I was like counting the clock. Like, what do I do? So I started a program called Subtle Warrior where I know how to purpose. My pain can be their guide to something else. And I'm a recce guy. So I'm like, okay, well, I've already, I've already looked down the abyss. Let me show you how not to do that. And it's, I have so many questions for you guys because I, I made my purpose to help people transition, to help guide them, to coach them. Like I was an Olympic level biathlon coach and 
even that was taken away because I had to focus on my kids and trying to win them back and everything. That was my whole goal. But I balanced up my two wolves, and this is where I tie it all back together, right? Where you revisit is my purpose was to help fellow veterans transitioning. And then the destructive side, like the burn down villages, was fighting for the welfare of my sons. And that's what I did. And unfortunately, I didn't do it very well. And I lost one veteran in the program. Um, and I lost, I completely lost my sons for six years uh, to parenting alienation. So I didn't balance that stuff properly. So I had two wolves, but I wasn't feeding them right. And now that I'm in my 40s, I have done better. And I've, I've realized that. And I've done the work to stop in place, reassess, instead of just reacting and trying to push through all the time. So with that long story rant over, uh, Eric, you're still in. You've, you're, you've, you're wet behind the ears. I can, I can still smell your mom's breast milk, right? So it's, it's <laughs> you, you, we're your future, right? And then I see Burke down there and he's like, yeah, I tried school, not to call you out on it, but just to communicate about it. And I remember when I had um, the schooling person from the March of Dimes, she came to the house and was like, what do you want to, what do we want to do now? We're going to put you through school. And I'm like, oh, this is great. I have certificates in conflict resolution, negotiation, mediation, and all this stuff. And she's like, uh, okay. And I said, well, I also have, I'm, I'm two school years away from finishing my degree in coaching because coaching is an actual profession. And I made it to level four and there's five levels. Like, I want to do this. And she's like, no, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. And I said, okay, what about this mediation stuff? And she goes, well, write me up a business plan. I said, oh, cool, no problem, because there's nobody in the area doing what this is. I've got these certificates, right, you know? And she's like, okay, cool. So I write up this business plan. I pour my heart and soul into it, because this is going to be my purpose finally. Like, I'm finally going to feel useful, not just Nate in a box doing nothing, sitting around collecting a VA check or whatever. Like, this is going to give me something to feel like a man again. So she comes back, she goes, yeah, your, your, your business plan's not viable. And I says, that's weird. I bounced it off my peers in the industry. And she goes, no, no, you need more education to do that. And I says, no, I, I have the highest level of certificate you can get in Canada for this stuff. Like, I don't even need you. I can go out and do this myself. I just want you guys to help me upgrade. She goes, no, no, you need an actual degree. Cause I was talking to some lawyers and some other people. I was like, wait a minute. you." You took my business plan to people? She goes, yeah, I went to who your competitors would be in Fredericton at the time and showed me your business plan. And and she goes, they said it was it was wrong. You need more education. And I was like, huh, that that's weird. Because mm -hmm. a year later, they all started implementing what I had put in there. So I had to fight. I had to fight with somebody who was supposed to be on my side to help me get education. So she was trying to push me to become an administrative assistant in somebody else's office. I had 150 troops on my last deployment that I was responsible for. And now you're going to make me go be an, a guy at somebody's office and just do their paperwork every day? That doesn't spark my passion. That doesn't spark my interest. So when we transition from the battle space to the real world, we have to have something that sparks our interest. For me in the military, it was biathlon and my kids. And that's what, so that's how, that's how I was able to manage to balance it, go from war fighting to this. I love being in the battle space, boys and girls. I loved 
or launching out of that lav or coming out of whatever vehicle that we we're coming out of, be it assault boats or lavs or just throwing on our shoes and running beside everything else because we were three VP and everybody else is on wheels and tracks. Who cares? But at Battle Space, I knew what I was doing. I knew what my purpose was. I knew there was an enemy that direction. I had the tools and stuff to close with and destroy. So for me, transitioning and balancing out my two wolves has been really hectic and, and it's been a battle. And when I see other veterans starting to do it and go through the process, oh, by the way, I did get that lady fired, by the way. She doesn't do the schooling stuff anymore. So now that I painted that picture, I'm gonna ask this question. And this is about the two wolves, okay? There's a dark wolf and a light wolf, okay? There's the masculine energy of destruction, not just going to the gym and pumping iron, but of protecting your house, protecting what you have, and saying to somebody, you're full of shit. You know, being able to stand up to somebody and say, I don't agree with your opinion. That's the dark wolf, that's healthy, okay? Getting inside somebody's face and screaming at them and yelling at them that they're wrong and just being belligerent is not, masculine it's not the dark wolf and it's not the light wolf it's the fear wolf that's the fear okay and that's when you you dip into something different and that's when both are, are conflicting with each other so the light side is puppies and gardening and dogs and horses and putting on nail polish with your daughters while they're having a tea party Burke's got four of those going on every day right <laughs> so that's the light side and being gentle with your family and letting your guard down and having that time. So to echo it one last time, the dark side was military life and that soldiering. And the light side was the family and the coaching and the community. And for me, I lost all of that when I turned 32. It was a struggle for everything left, right? And I kind of found my way back I've stopped completely and stopped hunting these wolves and just letting them do their thing. Hell, I'm taking a yoga course next week. Like, come on. So it's, it's, it's different. So I'm going to ask you guys, Rob, how do you nurture your light side? Three things you do every day for your light side. Keep um, impressed with movies. I've got my, uh, my cat that I got as soon as I moved into my apartment after leaving. Nice. And, uh, well, I don't know if you can see behind me, but I got some some plants that I take care of. So, little little stuff like that. I'm a caretaker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the thing is we are caretakers. That's why we joined the military. Most of us is because we are caretakers. So, what three things do you do for your dark side? Uh, again, video games, violent video games. <laughs> um, I hit the gym as much as I can. Good. And, uh, I don't know. There's some outlets at work because working with metal. Sometimes you have to heat it and beat it, right? So, <laughs> And you have a process. You're, you're actually achieving something at the end of the day. You have a product that you can put out there. Absolutely. And that's, that's, that's awesome. Um, your violent video game, is it Warzone? No, it's actually uh, PUBG Mobile. Okay, I think less of you know. So, <laughs> we'll circle back to that one. Sorry. No, so that's great. So now I'm going to jump, jump to uh, Burke. What are your three things for your light side? Uh, <laughs> kids, for one, uh, my partner, my girlfriend. Um, it's it's love. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, my 
I have three stepdaughters and I have a daughter, right? My daughter lives with my ex, who's an absolute cunt. But my my stepdaughters are like, they're my joy. They're, yeah. uh, they, they humble me. They, you know what I mean? So besides that, um, I do my best to sweat my balls off on that. That's both, I like to think as uh, the light wolf and the dark wolf because I get a lot of anger and frustration out on that. But there's also a sense of accomplishment that I get from it as yes. well. Right. Um, besides that, I, I do my best to create things with my, I do scale modeling and stuff. Right. Um, so, and then, on top of that, self-improvement, reading. I, I enjoy reading. I, I expanding my knowledge base. I like to think that feeds the the, the light wolf as well. So, okay, no, that's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, cardio is is good for for everything because it opens up so much. And when I was doing biathlon, I do cardio two hours a day. If I couldn't get out of my skis, it was in the gym, and I'd just be running. Yeah, that's awesome. So now for your dark side, because you do have all that positive light. What about the other side? Well, uh, that because 20 minutes on that, I don't feel my legs. I don't feel my hands, thanks to my stupid fucking spine injuries. And you guys can imagine, right? Including knees and hips and sciatics and all that stuff, right? Um, that really angers me because if I'm not in my zone, if I'm not centered emotionally, um, uh, internally, it always brings back you know, being hurt, not going to the MRI, pushing on, which at the end of the day made me worse, right? Um, I spent two years after my primary injury still doing the job, which just destroyed my neck. And like now, anything above this, my hands go tingly. You know what I mean? Like I can't, I still wear a ruck. I still go hiking, but 20 minutes, I don't feel my hands. Same thing on that. So sometimes when I, like I said, when I'm not in my center, that really feeds that. Uh, dark wolf because it brings out all that past anger that I have towards myself right and and it's always a give and take because at the time when you're doing it years ago you know you're doing it for love of the uniform you're, you're not you're you're a warrior you're not sure you're hurt you go to the doctor that you go you tell like no no, no it's okay just just give me life duties I got exercise coming up next week I'm gonna go anyways you, you know what I mean like how many times did I tell the doctor to give me the chip that I wanted so I could still go to the field right Absolutely. like <laughs> so um Besides that, to be honest with you, I don't know what else I do to feed um, that whiteboard right there. Um, I spent the last year or so, um, not last year, sorry, the last three years or so developing or doing my best to develop a business plan. I I want to help veterans transition as well, Nate. Like uh, you and I off uh, offline could probably talk a lot about this, but I, I gave up on it. I, I because I kept on hitting roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. On one side, some of my peers and some professionals would tell me that I had a great idea, but I had nothing to materialize it with. But that was the trouble that I was having getting the sport um, to uh, get getting the sport to materialize my dreams. Right? Um, I I always say, or I, I always said, I want to transition. Uh, so I um, I want to change the, the transitional landscape, right? Um, so I have a lot of anger towards myself for giving that up. That's the reason why I keep this whiteboard up uh, to remind me of all the things that I failed at. That really feeds the dark wolf. Um, let's just say that that's three things. I don't know what the oh, third. Okay, is. <laughs> so I'm going to challenge. I'm going to challenge you on that. All right. Why Why do you? Okay, because I did the same thing. I I fucking leaned. Pardon. I, if this is a family show, bleed no, that no, out. No, no, you're good to go, man. I'm referring Take to BB Seals. Okay, good. No Disney here. No Disney. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole other topic. I'm going to challenge you, Burke, because when you, like, I leaned into the, the, the anger, 
dude, I was an alienated from my kids. I was being bullied and harassed by RCMP. I was getting bullied and harassed by MPs. People I'd never even met were following me around because somebody else was telling stories about me that were completely false and, and disproven. My whole world was crumbling. So I could, I, I could feel that I could, I could feel the dark side, young Padawan. <laughs> and I was like, I don't really want to do that. So I'm going to challenge you. Why, why do you allow the failure to look at it as a failure and not as like, these are lessons learned because now I have to go this direction. Cause I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I had the 45 acres of land, the business. I had everything going right. I let the wrong people in and I let the parasites feed off of my rotting corpse that was still walking around and it destroyed everything I had. So that's my fault, but I don't beat myself up over it. It's like, Oh, I learned something. I learned that people can be shit. I learned that I deserve better. And I don't look at the things I failed as failures. I look at it as, okay, these are lessons learned. As soon as I flipped that switch, because I had that board, I had like my prison cell with all my failures holding me back. And now I look at them as lessons. You know what I, mean? I, I, I challenge you to flip that this week. Give yourself some grace and go, okay, I've learned. Because it's AARs, right? It, you're, you're reviewing what you've done. You're not like, oh man, I didn't, I didn't step out of the lab fast enough when, when the, the guy with the miles gear was shooting at me and you know, whatever, whatever, just an arbitrary thing. Okay. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like if you look at it as lessons learned, then you're really feeding the dark side. Okay. Not the, the Sith dark side, but the dark side, like my, okay, I can take that anger and use it as a stopgap So it doesn't happen again. So it reminds me when in the same situations that now I'm aware that these sensations and feelings in these people. So what do I have to change to be successful again? Okay. That's an education that has cost money that you have in your pocket that normal people don't have. And that's what I challenge you with on that for your dark side. Okay. And I see Cole shaking his head like, Oh yeah, no, 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 great. no, 100%, I'm man, jumping like, on him yeah. next. Don't worry, boys. I'm going on <laughs> him like a fat kid on a Twinkie. Okay. No, but like, no, that, so, so Burke, that's why I challenge you with for your dark side. Okay. Don't look at them as, as failures. Fuck. I did that for 20. You're 40. I'm five years ahead of you, brother. Okay. Like that little stubble you got growing there, this, it will come in. Okay. <laughs> and then you'll have beard companies paying you to oil it up and everything. <laughs> So, I say I'm 40, but I'm 30, so I'm going to make the situation worse. I'm just, I'm in the fear of the 40. Oh, you're that even fucking fear of it. I hate you. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, you know, uh, this is a complete side note. Like, my, my parents are young. My dad is uh, just turned 60, and he got pretty ill last year, which kind of brought the reality check of, uh, of life and such. You know what I mean? Uh, so that's one of the reasons why I... I'm turning a new leaf, no whiskey in my diet, no nicotine in my diet, eating healthier. And you know what I mean? Okay. So it's just, yeah, it's, we'll see how things go. <laughs> Good. Now, just to, to tell you, when I was 40, when I was 39, turning 40, I was 340 pounds. I actually had a doctor look at me and go, you did biathlon? You are grossly out of shape. Okay. So <laughs> the health stuff, do it. Because the other thing that's going to happen is those girls that look up to you as their dad, they're going to see positive things. Okay. So they're going to look for that type of man. And if your partner has the same approach to healthy living, they're going to look at her and go, okay, we're going to emulate that. Cause daughters emulate the same lifestyle their moms have. So anyways, enough about that. Let's start picking on Cole now. Uh, bring it. Oh. oh yeah. On the couch, little man. All right. <laughs> Cole, welcome to the show. How old are you? How old am I? I'm 41. 41. Okay. And you've been out how long? 
You're not I out yet. No, no, I'm not out yet. I uh, took the retirement job, joined the Air Force for the, uh, my 17 years in the artillery. <laughs> that that leather chair was comfy, isn't it? Oh, man, it's amazing. Right? Right. Okay. So, your light side. Three things that you do. So, I'll start a little bit with the, not the dark side, but the wrong dark side. Uh, switching from the Army to the Air Force, I thought military's military. Everything's the same. Yeah, no. I was expecting it to be a, or, a little bit better organized. I was expecting it to have more money, you know, because that, that's what you saw when you were in the army. You, you see these guys living in hotel rooms, you know, their uniforms were nice. Most of them were in shape because they had plenty of PT time and none of them were hurt. You know, you saw warrant officers at 65 years old getting mandatorily retired because their bodies were working perfectly fine. They could sit on the floor at 65 and play with their, their grandkids. And it was like, huh. It's got to be better. It's and I hear they are great serial killers, right? Yeah, and uh, sorry, they like, going, they like going duck hunting and stuff like that too. In off season, throwing guns in the water. Anyways, it put me in a very bad place. It put me in a very bad mood. I was okay. I was toxic to everybody because I hated how weak I saw people. I hated how soft I saw people, and I hated how there was no structure. You had a rank, but that was just for pay. Other than that, nobody gave a shit. People talk that privates are telling sergeants to go fuck themselves and they're getting away with it. Warrant officers weren't even showing up for work, but uh, calling in to make sure their people showed up because they just didn't care. So it took me a little while. Um, actually took me getting moved to Moosja here with the, the snowbirds to actually find my light side. And part of that was this is probably the closest to the army you'll get. These people love what they're doing. They're mm -hmm. proud to work for the snowbirds. They're proud to go on the road. You know what? They get up every day and they want to work. Their professionalism is high. Very. But they've had no real mentorship because the leaders they get in are soft from other units. And I found that that would be my niche. So part of my, my light wolf is I'm taking a lot of these younger techs and I'm mentoring them on how to be leaders, how to be the type of leader the, the Air Force needs. And they're loving it and they're eating it up and they're doing really well. And then that helped me have a better home life. So my kids, my wife, that is the other side of things, my dog. And I love it. It's, uh, it's allowing me to, to be better and press forward. And yeah. So for the light side, it's that it's the mentoring and yep. it's the, uh, the family life. For the dark side, it's what helped me get over the, the toxic side. I'm hitting the gym more because that was something that I stopped doing in Comox. I stopped going to the gym really because I just didn't see a point. Nobody else was fit. Nobody else really gave a shit about anything. So why should I? Um, but now I go to the gym more. I'm taking my son out and actually we go shooting. We are hitting the range. We do some hand-to-hand -hand combat. Like I'm showing him what it takes to be a man. <laughs> um, an eye-opener the other day was watching that movie that just came out, uh, Leave the World Behind. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys seen it. Yep. You should you should watch it. Keep an open mind. Uh, the Obamas helped write it, so <laughs> whatever you think of them. But it was uh, mm. it was interesting. And one point, I won't give the whole movie away. Ethan Hawke, his character, mm. came out and said, "I am a useless male." And I thought of that, and I thought of what is going on in the world right now. How everything's so automated. People need their cell phones for a map. They 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 can't even read road signs. And I really took that and I told my son, I'm like, you will never be a useless male. I had him go change a tire the other day. I showed him how to, like I took it down to our auto body shop and I showed him how to use the tire machine. Cause that's what I used to do as a kid with my dad. Cause 
I, and that's part of my dark wolf. I want to prepare him for if anything happens, he isn't going to look at his kid and be like, I'm a useless male. I don't ever want that. So in that, that right there is your, your, that one there, you're blending two of the wolves. You're finding that balance between the two by mentoring your son and then giving the skills and coaching and nurturing. So you're showing the harder sides of life and the mentoring at the same time, which right. is phenomenal. I like how you had time based on the other two's answers to, you know, really reflect on yours. So when I jump on Eric now, he better have his shit fucking wired tight. Okay. Cause, uh, he's, he's only got a transition from the coffee room to his, his bedroom, right. Whatever. Well, he took the bed out. Right. But here we go. Okay. Eric, you've been in for eight years. Right. Your air force, I believe. Yeah. Been air force the entire time. Yeah. The hairstyle tells it. So, <laughs> So <laughs> it used to be shorter. I imagine it's not fading. You just have a drive-in forehead. So I got to give you shit. You're in the Air Force. It's all good. No, it's fair. Fair play. What fair play. It's for you balancing those two wolves. I want to know what you do at the end of the day first to decompress. Because yeah, we give the Air Force shit, but do you guys know that the Air Force has more harassment complaints than any other? branch of the military in Canada more harassment complaints per yeah. soldiers or, or, you guys aren't soldiers don't ever call yourself soldiers you're wearing blue okay okay Navy uh, whatever anyways I'm having a, a moment <laughs> go with me your your flight people you're whatever chair force but you're not soldiers I used to be so, I used to be on the chair force side okay so <laughs> on that side like mm -hmm. to, to paint the picture for those listening at home all three followers today of mine <laughs> It's a more corporate kind of a P, uh, system, right? Corporate. Yeah, 100% and, I could. Yeah, and an, a corporate industry with uh, some industrial sides and some blue-collar kind of stuff to it, okay? So right. it, it does have its challenges. It's uh, you definitely time management so you can get to the gym and make it to coffee breaks six times a day with the warrant. <laughs> what do you do? I know I'm poking a lot of fun. What do you do to decompress at the end of the day? Because it still has its stresses. True. Well, it's – I would say it, it kind of like the stresses have drastically changed from where I started as okay. ABS. Like that was 100% corporate. You hit the nail on the head with that. It was – you try to – you know, because I was in a lab. I wasn't like first line repairing aircraft and stuff like that. I was in a lab. They would send us stuff. So I would sit at a bench and fix things. But I, I enjoyed it, right? Because like you're, you're ripping a box apart and you're going around, rooting around, finding what's broken it and then soldering, repairing it, testing it, all that stuff, slapping Very it all together. But uh, yeah, to de-stress now, it's kind of... It, I've switched over from because I used to just game a lot. Uh, now I it's it's I'm trying to this year I'm trying to be a little bit more constructive constructive because I have a little bit more energy after work because now my job is a lot more physical. Okay. So uh, now I do game. Not gonna lie, but I read more, and I've actually tried to take up some more of my hobbies as well and try to do that because a lot of for a while was in a bit of a funk. So okay. like I wouldn't. You know, you're just kind of caught in that same loop. So the other thing I try to do to decompress now is actually try I, – I, I tried candle making of all things. Neat. 
Yeah, with beeswax candles. Cole, so Cole can your attest. Own beeswax. Yeah, mind my own beeswax. But uh, Cole can attest to that because yeah, uh, they're good yeah. candles. Yeah, I still have that. I still haven't used it all yet. So I just want to point out one thing that mm. you mentioned about the, the craft. Okay, we go back to the welding mm. and stuff. You have something tangible. Yeah. That you can look at and say, I did that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've worked with guys, uh, SF guys, and different you know, whatever blackout the faces, whatever stuff. <laughs> and when they retire, one of my friends he takes old whiskey barrels and makes pens, and he's completely happy. Another friend makes soap. Now these these are some of the most badass dudes that I've ever met. Where you're like, you know, they're stacking bodies back in the day, and now they're just oh, I'm making soap. Do 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 do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so you're on the right path, and you're gonna hear a lot of stuff and a lot of shit that we talk and we give you a lot of shit and Cole apparently loves you because he gives you shit but <laughs> you're going to find things that we say that are going to make sense as things pop up because your radar's tuned to it for decompressing so for for me uh, I was working at a supplement store a couple of years ago Okay, I love I love supplements I love coaching uh, like I said my background is coaching and, and physical fitness and, and everything right so I'm working in the store. Plus, it got me out of the lockdowns during that thing that happened. So I'm working in the store. I'm loving it. I'm working with people. And I've got the tattoos and stuff. And they always ordered the Schmedium shirt for me, which actually was a running joke because they never got me one that fit because sales went up on certain ladies' days or whatever. So anyways, so I'm standing there, right? So I'm standing there. And this guy comes in. And I've never met him before in my life. And he's buying some stuff and I give him some recommendations. And he's like, well, you're a big guy, you work out. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a big guy, I work out, obviously. And he's like, well, how much protein do you eat in a day? And I'm like, I'm at 300 grams. And he's like, oh, shit. And I was like, okay, I don't know you, but yeah, sure. Let's just make the sale and get you what you need, buddy. So he goes through, does all this stuff. He gets the cash and he's like, so uh, how long have you been working here? And I'm like, God, oh, it's been about a year. He's like, oh, what do you do before that? And I, I can recognize the posturing. <laughs> So I'm like, oh, yeah, I know I work here or whatever. And he's like, yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a prison guard. I'm a I'm a whatever commander of the donut shift. What? Okay, now I'm not making fun of prison guards, okay? I have a lot of friends. But the way this guy was communicating was asinine. And he was like, yeah, well, I'm the shift watch, whatever, super duper, uber man, SpongeBob, SquarePants man. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And he goes, well, what did you do? And I said, well, I was, I was in the infantry. And he goes... And dead fucking panned. He looks at me and he's like, oh, and now you work here? <laughs> the Dark Wolf already had him by the throat and was like, what are you talking about, you little pissant? I can manage this. <laughs> but the light side was like, yeah, apparently I didn't do good enough because I have to serve assholes like you. <laughs> but my actual filter was, yeah, now I work here. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoy the product. I look forward to talking to you. And he's like, yeah, okay. Now he's like, the shoulders are back, right? <laughs> I'm somebody, right? <laughs> and I was like, okay, off you go. So I called up his boss who I'd been working with for some security <laughs> programs. <laughs> and I asked about him. I was like, hey, man, what's this guy like? And he's like, eh, he's okay. And I said, well, just tell him that, you know, you, you say hi, that I know him or whatever. And he's like, why? And I was like, well, he came into the store and he was kind of a dick. And he's like, what? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, okay. And this guy's ex-military as well. So anyways, <laughs> never saw the guy again, but it was, so where I'm going with all this is that the perception of who we are has to be strong. 
for us to be balanced, right? And if we actually go with a Viking mindset, we load up our boat, we get our shit together, and we paddle off into the unknown to go face something. We get there, plunder, rage, pillage, whatever, berserker, rah, okay? Modern times, we don't burn down villages, ideally. We go into them and we figure out how to be among them and work it. Most of the times, those Vikings would become farmers, which it was a skill set they already had. And they would build something on the other side because it wasn't always jump in the boat, repeat, jump in the boat, repeat, jump in the boat, repeat. They may have done that a few times through their you know early years, but they always end up either dead or farming and building something. And they would literally turn their boat into something. So joining the military today, my advice is be aware that you're going to have to turn that boat into a house eventually. That's good. That's good. Okay. Uh, that's a good spot to transition to our next one. Nate I'm is always like, good about the outro. He's like a general strategizing the battlefield <laughs> of the mind. Right? If anybody needs just, a good talk, Nate's just got ge- it. Just a jester drinking his whiskey. That's it. And if so, his little screen there doesn't do him justice. You guys need to find him on Instagram. This guy is a beast. So when he's no. talking about you know, wearing a medium girls t-shirt. It's literally a, a bra on him. Just so you guys know, just put just it all in the context. Just, just one. Which yeah. One? Right. We're gonna one titty in. <laughs> yeah. So the next point I want to talk about is going to be strategies for emotional resilience. And I'm going to turn that over to Eric to, to start the conversation. Um, what Eric doesn't touch on, he is very modest <laughs> is that he's not just an FE, he's an FE with StarTex. So this is the guy that could be on operation every day. He can go out and save somebody one day. The next day, he's going out to locate, you know, a lost hiker. Um, Sartex, FEs that work with him, the flaker that work with him, they have to be able to switch it off and on daily because some of the shit that they see is it's dark, and some of it's it's some of it's light, is is great, right? When you save somebody, amazing. When you not don't get there in time, it can do a toll. And if it happens multiple times, it can definitely do a toll. So Eric, why don't you take this off? Well, yeah, it's uh, I can start with like a little bit of the basics, like where where to kind of start. Like a good starting point for for me was um, actually the there's a program in the military called R2MR. If you, I'm not sure if anyone's heard about that. It's actually a good. I I think a good kind of framework to kind of get your foot into the door with talking about mental resilience and how, how you have to start off with small little things like small little stressors and then constantly kind of stressing you out a little bit more and then eventually gradually getting to bigger and bigger, bigger and bigger stresses. But it's also kind of trying to find that balance. So you're not, you don't just get jaded. Right. But I find the R2MR, yeah, it's a good, good way to start the conversation, but it, it doesn't kind of go past, you know, these basic fundamental building blocks because you kind of have to figure out which way, how to cope the best that works best for you. And Cole knows right away, I like to, like to talk way too fucking much. And Rob knows too. What? So, <laughs> and, and, and that's because I like, I like discussing things. I love, and the other and story time and whatever. Like I love just sitting back, hanging out with other vets. Well, with vets, because I'm not I'm not a vet. What am I talking about? But uh, with uh, vets and hearing their stories and their experiences and just kind of sitting back and kind of listening and then seeing what things I can actually relate to with that and kind of 
you can get a little bit of what um, to kind of ex- uh, expect. Like I thoroughly enjoy talking with the other FEs that have been in for for doing the job for a lot longer, and then sometimes the the stories, like the the horror stories, kind of come up, right? And they talk about what was their hardest mission, right? And they, yeah, and some of the stuff they they see is just kind of blows you away, right? And how they kind of hard to fathom how they could be still standing there right but i find that all of us kind of coming together and talking about that stuff kind of helps me de-stress because then it's just like then it's like all these little things it's like oh it's not as big of a deal because everybody has experienced that type of kind of suffer that little bit of suffering i haven't gotten to that point where i haven't had the hardest mission yet i'm still in training like on my my last little leg of training Right, so I'm like training for to actually go on missions and stuff like that on my own now, and we're going to doing some crazy like some crazy stuff, do some things that are like really sketchy. It's like oh, it's like oh yeah, that uh, that big rotor blade that you have there. It's like it's literally ten feet away from a boulder, you know, <laughs> you know stuff like that. So like, and it's only until you land and you realize and you get off the the helicopter and you're like, holy shit, that just happened. Like, or uh, what was another one? It was a really bumpy day, and then I'm just the doors. The doors open, and we're just kind of coming into the area to to kind of come in and for a land. And it was really, really turbulent, and then we, they had it bumped like that. And I almost fell out, right? But you know, I had my harness on, so like I would have only fallen out so far. But it was still like you're grabbing onto the side of the the helicopter, going like, oh shit. Right, Eric. Eric, I love talking to you, man. You are, <laughs> but anyway, but very um, animated. Oh yeah, <laughs> man. Yeah, that is more entertaining. Come on, I love it. I love it. I'm getting the views, man. I'm getting the views. <laughs> Good thing it's a video. But um, yeah, for 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 me, for the whole entire mental resilience, I find is again talking about it, kind of taking in other people's experiences, and then thinking about what would I do in that situation. Or would I just completely shut down? So no, no, that's good, and and I agree with you. Um, having those roundtable shares is is awesome, right? And it it not only helps you de-stress um, and build the mental resilience, you can build off of what they say. I mean, a lot of people will tell you their exact coping methods, but you'll be able to um, kind of build it yourself by how they reacted to it. Because there's only one thing in the world that we can control. It's how we respond to situations, right? We can't control that shitty things happen. And we can't control how other people act. All we can control is how we That's respond. It. All we have is self-control. Yeah. That's it. So i jump on that with Eric there is uh, when I used to do public speaking for uh, PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress, drop the fucking D, it's not a disorder, okay? <laughs> Everybody's got stress and shit. Um, so when I was doing that big campaign, I was doing a big speech there and I was talking to people and this guy came in at the uh, middle and just kind of stood in the very back tall guy. Um, and as we were talking, he just looked very gray. So when you do talk like that and you're sharing these stories and stuff, some people, they can't handle what they're hearing and they, they, they fit like I've had people pass out. I've had Padres pass out, you know, hearing what I was going through and stuff. And I'm like, Oh, this is, this is my normal day. And they're like, Oh, ugh, you know, um, so what was going on? I was like, Oh shit, this guy's gonna, he's gonna fall. He's gonna thunder in. So 
I kind of was like, okay, we're gonna take a break here. You know, we'll resume. And I went back and I was like, hey, how you doing? You know, you know, so you're a little late or whatever. And he's like, hey man, um, I really respect you military guys. And uh, I, you're, you know, post-traumatic stress is, is real and I appreciate that. And I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress, but it's, it's, it's not real because I wasn't in the military. And I was like, hold on, hmm. let's, let's back this train up here a little bit. Let's, let's talk through this. Because again, I like to talk as well. And I move my hands, Cole. So uh, <laughs> as we're talking, he's, he, I'm like, well, wh what is that moment that you associate with your post-traumatic stress? And he goes, well, I was driving with some friends and it's a very similar story, okay? Um, his, his story is his, it's, it's not unique to him, but it's his story. And if you listen to it, you, you probably have friends that have, or heard these other stories from people. So he's driving with his friends, uh, shitty roads, they crash, the vehicle flips. He watched his friends die. His last friend was dying in front of him and he was stuck in the seatbelt, couldn't get anything like to save him. And he literally watched everybody die in front of him. And in his mind, that's not post-traumatic stress. <laughs> In his mind, I'm a civvy. Nobody was shooting at me. I don't deserve this feeling. And I was like, okay. See that guy over there? He's military. Military vehicle flipped. Similar situation. Nobody was shooting at him. He's fucked up. He has post-traumatic stress. And Buddy was like, oh. Oh. And it, it snapped for him. It clicked. And I said, why don't you go sit with him? Just chit chat, and I introduced them. Okay, and just by switching that verbiage for him, it did that. And then I had another situation where, because these round, round talks are awesome, and podcasts like this are phenomenal. This uh, lady brought her dad in. He was eighty-three, Korean War vet. Okay, he didn't want to talk to me. She's like, "Well, you know, so picture Korea and how screwed up that was." And he was Canadian there. So you're Canadian in Korea, reporting to Americans, whatever. He was also a medic. Okay. Pecker checker. He was, well, not sure. He checked more than Peckers that day. Um, he was a sergeant. He didn't want to talk to me. He's like, I'm only doing this because my daughter asked me to come, come talk to you. And I'm like, hey, man, no, that's, that's fine. Like, I, he never applied to VA his whole life. Nothing from VA. Toughed it out his whole life. And I was like, hey, man, I've got a, a psychiatrist we can introduce you to. Okay. And he's like, yeah, yeah, no, no, I don't want it. Don't want it. And I was like, well, me as a sergeant, he's like, you were a sergeant? And I said, yes, sir, I was a sergeant. Boom. Five minutes later, he's sharing stories. We're both bawling our fucking eyes out. Three days later, I've got him in the psychologist. His daughter came in like two months later and it's like, he is a whole different man. So what Eric's saying, what you're saying here is, is awesome. Like that, that is the way to be. So virtual high five and uh, wave the jazz hands for Cole. Okay. That's my take on that. <laughs> no, that's per That's perfect. Like, so how, uh, let's go to uh, Burke. How about you? Like, how would you deal with, um, with like stresses and things that, you know, like mental, like things that you do to help, with your mental resilience or help kind of kind of de-stress like de-stress you or kind of help deal with a lot of these things that uh, like tough situations um, through my career and overseas there was a few things uh one thing that I always did and, and said and going back on it, it it did work but I always emphasize as working more than it did but 
what I always say was, if you constantly bitch about the little things, whether you like it or not, you're letting steam out of the bigger things. You know what I mean? And and that goes with the like the friendly banter you have with your friend too, right? Like you're bitching about whatever happened, but there's no big deal. But like you're letting that negative stress out, right? Uh, to me, that was a big thing. Um, and with that, for me, another big thing was journaling, to be honest with you. Uh, I'll use that cliche, but getting that thought out, writing it out uh, was all, was very powerful and productive in dealing with negative feelings, right? Um, besides that, there was a lot of things that I tried and did, but one of the most important things is having a battle buddy that understands you. You yeah. know what I mean? That 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 gets you, that understands why you're frustrated with that situation because they're, then they know what to say, right? Or not to say, or just put on that fucking show that both of you like and then you just disconnect from the world, right? Having that one person that understands you while you're going through that negative moment is, is a very important thing. Um, but yeah, besides that, um, sport network and... I'm going to get into this when I'm talking about my um, my topic, but none of us practice this when we're in the thick of it. None of us practice this when it's happening, but it's knowing that whatever is happening in the moment is in the grand scheme of things is not a big deal, right? If you are breathing right now and that if you have the capacity to be angry and upset about it, if you have the capacity to process any of it, it's not a big deal. It's not because you're breathing. Um, yeah, uh, I'll leave it off there, but, um, yeah, um, breathing though, man, breathing, breathing is like the, the greatest tool in R2MR, like, because <clears throat> it centers you, it brings you back down to your normal, uh, capacity to think clearly. Right. Uh, but with breathing, I'll say having that battle buddy that gets you uh, is a really important thing. And it, some that worked out very well for me uh, overseas and home, at home and yeah. Per perfect. So I've actually been using the, uh, what they call tactical breathing a lot, especially in my job. Cause especially after, after a job, like, or if I say make a mistake, cause I go always have an instructor over my shoulder right now. Right. And they're always talking. So I hear them like, while I'm doing stuff, I'll be like, I'll be like at my limit. So like, I'll be completely and utterly task saturated. And they're telling me, it's like, why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you doing that? And you're just like, I'm and you're like totally zoned out. And then you kind of get it done and you're frustrated and you know, like all the mistakes you made and you just kind of sit down and you're like, and you just kind of, kind of just breathe and just kind of let it. And because you got, you're going on to the next one. Cause there's some, guess what? You're doing another one. Right. And but uh, how about uh, let's let's move on to Rob. Rob, how about you? What did you uh, how did you kind of cope with, and how did you deal with like a lot of the the stuff? Let's go with the army because like your your army experience because Air Force, it, we've been in the same boat, and it's just it's oh, as the kids say, it's um, cringe. Yeah, uh, for me, humor, <laughs> humor. You you can't be mad or stressed out if you're laughing. So, Eve, like Burke said, bitching, awesome great great vent for for that little frustration before it becomes big frustration but i found if you bitch in a hilarious way you start cracking jokes you're not only making yourself feel better but you're you're helping everybody around you too right um and then like nate was saying compartmentalization for me once it's out of sight it's it's gone it takes me 10 minutes to get over something that pissed me off 
to my limit, you know, just before that. But if I'm able to separate myself from it for even just a little bit, out of sight, out of mind, I completely forget about it and I moved on to the next thing. Um, yeah, I said, I, and then being able to help somebody get through that time, that takes the focus off of like what I was going through. You help them and it kind of helps you work through it at the same time. So those are probably three of the best strategies I've found for, I don't know, decompression, just getting over that stress. Yeah. Just Just jump on that. Sorry, when he's saying about helping somebody else, like we've all done the military fun runs and you're (laughs) struggling and you're like, oh, this is so stupid, you know, whatever. Terry Fox already ran it. I ran this with my kids and now I'm doing it for the army again. But when you have found somebody else who's struggling worse than you are and you're able to, like Rob was saying, give them humor and support and see them actually start running faster and breathing and doing the thing. Have you guys also, like me, found it alleviate some of your own struggle? Because now you're like, Absolutely. yeah, yeah, kind of makes you makes you feel good, right? Because you're actually yeah, doing something for for somebody focused. else for once, right? Yeah. Your mind's not focused on you; it's focused on them at yeah. that point. So, mm-hmm. what a perfect way to lead into our next topic that we're going to be doing with Rob: adaptability and the virtue uh, is one of the virtues, a cornerstone of a soldier. You have to be adaptable. And Rob, if you want to take it away <laughs> and uh, go from there. Well, uh, so topic you gave me was uh, adapting um, <laughs> for the transition to civilian life. <laughs> sure. <laughs> a little bit different. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I found for the most part, like my military career was very stable. Like you kind of knew what you were going to be doing day in, day out. Um, especially once I got to the Air Force side, you know, it's very much like a nine to five job, essentially. Um, so changing to civilian life you're kind of thrown into the weeds especially right at the beginning because you're not sure exactly what's going to happen next um so for my example uh because you know covid hit and i decided (laughs) my own uh, medical fate uh military was like okay fuck off so it's kind of thrown into the deep end (laughs) right uh so i had to basically figure out my life from a dead stop, which was fun in a way because I could build it up the way I wanted instead of the way the military wanted, which was kind of nice. But the tough part is uh, once you're out of the military, you have less access to helpful sources for those transitions. Like, you know, when you're in the military, you can go to the the Padre stuff is going wrong with you. You can turn to your friends, turn to, you know, your leadership if you really trust them. But you get into civilian life, kind of don't have that. So that's where you have to have your your core group of friends. And I found that's the friends that I made in the military were probably the the best thing that came out of my military career. Um, Having those people that I could turn to. Um, Yeah. Civil life, you you definitely have to learn to build your own community, whereas you know military, you have your community around you, essentially guys that have shared those similar experiences. Um, yeah, there's a lot of civilians that you can link up with that have had actually fairly similar 
experiences, but it's not the same. It really isn't. Um, so yeah, I don't know. My, uh, my transition was interesting. I went from uh, single living in quarters, uh, you know, meals at the mess hall whenever I needed them. <laughs> and Oh, did I lose him? Uh-oh. So he oh. basically went from living at mom and dad's house to yeah. you're on your own now. Sorry about that. It cut me off. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the steady paycheck in the military, but you go to civilian life and you get the hourly jobs where you get affected by weather. If you're not working, you're not getting paid. So it's it's tough, but I I absolutely feel more fulfilled. Uh, mm. doing the job that I am now than I did in the military because I'm doing it so, for myself. So honestly, you actually hit all the nails on the topic I gave you about being adaptable. Right? You, you, to Pretty much what you said is to do what you had to do to get to where you are now, you had to adapt constantly. You went from something that where everything was handed to you, sugar-coated. It might not have been the best food, we'll say. We'll say, you know. It might not have been the best equipment, but it was given to you to... Yeah. Now you have to do everything on your own. And it wasn't like you had six months, a year, two years to kind of get ready for it. It was, you're doing it. Yeah. Semper Gumby, always flexible. Semper <laughs> Gumby, yeah. I, I can relate. I had 30 days from, from my release from like, you were broken and we want nothing to do with you to you're a stupid civvy. And not civvies are stupid. It's, it's the vernacular we use. Um yeah, it, and you're right because I, it was such a sharp 30 day slope. Um, I I didn't have a VA check or a VAC check or anything. Uh, my medical release was screwed up, and they're still 15 years later saying I'm. They even thought I was still in seven years later because they screwed up the release. So, oh yeah, they tried to charge me with AWOL. They're like, "Well, you've been for the last seven years." So, anyways, okay. So I don't feel so bad about them fucking up my pay. No, dude, they're not fucking <laughs> up your pay. Then you're not. They're not. You know, they're not trying. That's part of the um, course. <laughs> so, like, I, I ended up getting the only job I could get because I was injured was selling suits at Fairweather's HM or whatever uh, over that Christmas. I crushed it, by the way. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I crushed it. The ladies were bringing their boyfriends back in, going, "Thank you for making him look so handsome." I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> so that but it didn't last long, um, the job. But it, you're right on. Like, civvies don't understand. Like, I don't share a lot of stories. So. Um, a lot of my, when I was married and stuff, the in-laws, they didn't know anything about stuff. My coworkers didn't know stuff. I couldn't grab them and be like, hey, man, this one time I was out in the field to troops. We were on a defensive, and uh, we went to set up some trip flares, and we were playing with some MVGs because we finally got the fourth gen ones and stuff or the fifth or whatever gen it was, and we weren't just using my Sony camera anymore. And this bear came out of the woods, and the troops were in the middle of pulling the pins on the trip flares. I said, Freeze. And everybody froze and this bear comes sniffing over and I reached over and I bopped it on its nose and it fucked off and it set off the whole trip flares for everybody else and we had everybody shooting at us and it was just crazy. Man, it was a blast. They don't understand that shit. They're like, you, you punched a bear in the face. No, I didn't punch him. I booped him. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I booped him just like Hoist Gracie and I were arm wrestling. I booped him on the nose. And they're like, no, that didn't happen. And I'm like, see? But there's, there's four troops that still tell the story for me. So anyways... Mm-hmm. You know, it, they don't get it. And 
when you come out of the military, seeing back to my last story of Buddy being all like, oh, well, if you're in the military now, you're serving me supplements. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I should be in the gym fucking putting weights on the bar for you because of those scrawny chicken arms. But <laughs> you, you get this perception, right, that you should be better than what you're doing and the pressure. And that's where um, be, going from civilian life, like, you guys have a lot to look forward to. Uh, Burke's got he's got his toes in it but he's still young so there's still hope for him because there's actually grants that he can get because he's not 40 yet to start his own business me i'm 45 and i got a business idea that's a killer but i'm too old to get these grants so there's there's always something working against you right you're always in the wrong spot at the wrong time but you got to push through it and like rob's topic of adaptability <laughs> the plan goes to shit but you still gotta be flexible with it and look for other things right like for me, there's three things I want to do in my life for the next 20, 30 years or, whatever, or five years, whatever I got left, right? Whatever time I've got left, because technically by the stats, I'm 45 as combat arms. And I served as a warrant in a, in a, with a platoon. I should be dead of a heart overdue. attack. Yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm five years overdue for a, a major fucking heart attack, yep. right? No, legit. It so, is. Burke, it's a good thing you're doing that cleanse now, buddy. <laughs> so it's that perception of it. So the three things I want to do is train dogs, work with horses, and make my fucking mead. Which means, um, okay, buddy, no, I make a no. good mead. Oh, you should see my stuff right now. Okay, so what I'm doing with that, and this is what I've learned after the last 13 years of my release and being a civvy. It's taken me this long to learn this and adapt to it by wanting to make mead. Okay, now I need land because I want my dogs, my horses, and my bees. Okay. okay, now with my bees, I can then start renting them out to other farms. And that means, oh crap, I've now got three businesses that are my passion and I can start bringing friends into if I want. Or I can do it all myself and it goes at my pace and scale. Took me 13 years of, of no, 10 years, 10 years to learn that as a city. I was not very adaptable. But I am now because I'm taking yoga. There you go. Oh, <laughs> you better put some videos of that online. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it's it's naked yoga, of course. Oh. Naked hot yoga. I got you. I got you. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, tough. Though. I mean, I'd I'd rather be where I am now than where I would have been had I stayed in the Air Force. Honest, honestly. What the fuck? It could be here in Moose Jaw with me, fucking being a snowbird. It could still be in Moose Jaw, just not in uniform. <laughs> but here's the thing, though. Here's the quantifier, Rob. The most fear-impacting, scariest thing you can have going on in your life is being in the same place you were last year. It's true. It's true. Mm -hmm. true. Well, that's that dog nipping at your heels, keeping you going forward at all times, though. Mm. That's the way I look at it, at least. <laughs> Right? Just keep rowing. Mm -hmm. Just keep rowing. 100%. Nice. All right. Uh, embracing the now and letting go of the past. As a soldier, we're supposed to be fluid and adaptable. Right? So, transitioning home from war zone to home sweet home. I'm going to let uh, Burke take the next section. And, uh, Burke, why don't you introduce what you're going to talk about? And we'll have a round table after that. Absolutely. I feel like I got the, the worst end of the stick with the difficult one because I'm not a Buddhist. So let's let's get that out of the way. So I'm no shmi on the subject, but um, <laughs> I was given impermanence and detachment. And um, 
I want you guys to think about that for a second, what impermanence and detachment means to you, because it, it can mean different things to, to, to a lot of people. Um, by definition, impermanence is the state or the fact of something lasting for only a limited period of time. Nothing lasts forever, right? Um, people can take that both ways, for the good or the bad. And, and, and I want you to keep that in mind because uh, the, the, the normal study of impermanence with Buddhism always talks about the positive side of things when you let things go. Right, like life is constantly changing. Uh, nothing that that you shouldn't hold on to good things because they'll they might not that they might not last, but they will not last forever. But I want you to think about that on the negative sense, as in the bad things that we go through don't last forever either. Uh, everything has a beginning, a middle, and an end. That is the cycle of life according to Buddhists, and that is the cycle of life for our emotions, and that's what um, impermanence is. Um, you know, the most basic example that I can give to all of you that um, that we can all relate to, that you can all relate to, is you're on that Terra Fox run or you're on that Brigade 20K rock or 30K rock or whatever, right? And you're like, oh, my God, my body fucking hurts. This fucking sucks. And you tell yourself, like, or or you're in basic training and this is your first time in it and you're suffering for real for the first time in your life you're pushing your body to the limit and your instructor's yelling at you if you don't do this you're gonna die your body next to you is gonna die you have to push through the pain and you push through the pain you teach yourself in that moment that that pain is only temporary it doesn't matter sure at the moment you're being told no pain no gain you gotta do this yada yada but the truth of the matter is that you're teaching yourself that that pain is only temporary, that there's a finish line and there's an end to it. And once you get to that end, it's over and it's done and over with. We practice it. As soldiers, we practice this all the time. It's just in a different mindset. Um, now, I mentioned the the what I call the positive side of impermanence a minute ago, where good things don't last. Um, we all know those guys who get really comfortable in their positions right and who let's call like they're riding the wave and you know their career they, they get that shitty posting that they never thought they were going to get because they were the sergeant major's favorite guy or the rsm's favorite guy but now their life is completely thrown upside down because they weren't expecting it you know if that guy had practiced in permians he would be ready for that because he would understand that no good thing lasts forever everything has a beginning a middle and an end um now a lot of us have talked about uh, throughout tonight, uh, PTSD's come up uh, and everything. We get tunnel vision, right? When you're hurt, right? when you're in, uh, when you're in the bottom of that hole, uh, you know, your worst day, whatever it is that that triggered you, whatever thought that it is, your whatever moment that you're living, or whatever thought that's stuck in your head, we cannot let that go. A part of PTSD. At that moment, you cannot let that go. What's surrounding you at that moment is that this is who you are. This is what it is. And it's never going to change. But practicing impermanence and understanding impermanence allows us to shorten those moments. Right? Sure, you still get triggered. Sure, you're still in that negative mindset at the moment. But the more you practice impermanence, the more there will be a voice in the back of your head or on your shoulder or whatever you want to call it that will tell you slowly, hey, hey. This is temporary. Something triggered you. You're just feeling something from the past. Feel it. Understand it. You will move forward. Tomorrow will be better. The next day will be better. Listen, you're still breathing. You're alive. That's why I think, you know, the Buddhism mindset of things or impermanence is very important to 
practice because the more you practice it, the more it becomes sub, uh, subconscious, the more it becomes second nature almost, right? So um, there's a word I'm looking for. Um, it becomes automatic thought pattern. You know what I mean? Like um, it ends up being something you don't have to actively practice, but you're practicing subconsciously. Um, I mentioned it. Uh, everything changes and nothing lasts forever. That's uh, so rewinding back. That's your emotions. That's your thoughts. That's your feelings. And nothing is fixed or certain. Your relationships are not fixed. They're not certain. That marriage that you thought that was going to last forever didn't last forever. Same thing with your job. I thought I was going to be in the army till the day I fucking died. 11 years down the road, here I am. You know what I mean? So um, we get... <sighs> We all should be Buddhist to a degree because like, nobody teaches you at a young age that like not to get attached to things, not to get attached to moments, not to get attached to things, not to get um, attached to those feel-good moments or um, not to get attached to the people that are in your life that make you feel good. No, we're not taught that. Those are things that we have to end up learning through pain and suffering, right? Uh, which I think is a dis dis disservice to humanity in, in a general sense. But, um, uh, sorry, I'm looking through my notes because I had to make notes because otherwise I'd just be talking about fucking bunnies and whatever. Uh, Squirrels and fancy shiny shit. <laughs> oh, don't bring up bunnies, man. <laughs> it's all right. Exactly. Um, you know, and uh, the other part of this conversation is, is detachment. Uh, detachment, by definition, is the state of being objective or aloof. Uh, let's, let's say, uh, it's the state of being objective and detachment is, or, or the lack thereof of attachment, uh, in, or with an, sorry, let, let me rephrase this with detachment. I, I want you to think about this because this is the hard thing of detachment to practice. Um, it, it, we need to teach ourselves the lack of attachment to the outcome of things and situations. You know, this thing happened to me and the result is either good or bad. Like, okay, so let's go to the bad side. A friend died. My automatic pattern is that I have to go to a funeral and I'm going to be triggered forever, right? Like now I have that trauma that I have to carry with me. So we subconsciously get, um, not subconsciously get, but we are subconsciously locked into this um, idea that we are, that certain situations have fixed outcomes. And we are stuck to those. Detachment with impermanence is letting that go, is knowing that um, every situation, everything um, is different and situation dependent. With that, I want to try to bridge this into, into a very important thing as well. Um, so right now, take a breath. And let it go. Do it again. Take a breath and understand that you're taking a breath. You're, you're filling your lungs. And now let that go. If you were to hold on to that breath without ever letting go, you're dead. If you let go of your breath nonstop without breathing in, you're dead. That is one of the most vital lessons of holding on to things, right? We cannot hold on to things. There's, there's a difference between teaching ourselves the deeper meaning of things, the deeper meaning of enjoying this moment, the deeper meaning of grieving for a friend, right? Versus being stuck in that moment and not letting ourselves breathe out and killing ourselves slowly, 
because that just feeds into that negative cycle of trauma, right? Um, I kind of went all over the place. There was a couple other things I wanted to say, but I, I want to leave it there for now and just open it up to you guys. Uh, like, think think of a moment that you were too attached to the outcome of a situation and try to remember what that made you feel like and how that made you react. And let, let's try to talk about that because when we analyze it, looking back on that moment, you know you could have handled it better, right? So the, the goal that we're trying to get to with impermanence and attachment is to make sure that the next time that something like that comes up, that we don't feed into that negative cycle. Right. And the only way we can do that is through reflection. The only way we can teach ourselves not to be attached to certain things, especially when we're talking about negative emotions, when we're talking about PTSD and trauma, um, is reflecting and teaching ourselves why we felt it, how we felt it, and why not to do it and how not to do it again. So I'll, I'll leave it at that and open up the floor to the rest of you guys. Damn it, Nate. So I have a question. <laughs> I have a question. So if if I have a whiteboard on my desk where I write down all my failures that make me mad, is that me letting go or is that me holding my breath? Um, <laughs> asking for a friend. Asking, asking for a friend. For a friend. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, not this one. So, so, <laughs> so I hear what? what you're saying and I, I agree. It's, it's not just a Buddhist thing. Uh, but yes, that's one for Nate, by the way. So um, radical acceptance is what I, I practice in, in the same, it's this same, same, different, same, same. Um, it's not a religious aspect. It's just a rational, um, it's a thought process. Okay. So it's realistic and it's not um, a higher power thing. It's just radically accepting that this is the way it's going to be. And the same echoing what, what Burke just said is with radical acceptance is I accept that this happened. I accept that there's nothing I can change about it. I accept what I've learned about it. I understand that these feelings are just temporary. And sometimes those feelings aren't even mine. They're feelings from those that have gone through it around me and what they're projecting. Okay. Uh, once you realize that it's that way, man, you can do that self check so fast and you can train and condition yourself. It's just as fast as changing a mag or, or doing a press check or, or if you want to do the shooting terms or whatever, um, or, or just, you know, applying the brakes on your bike to make the right turn. It just, it's become so quick. If you are doing the radical acceptance and saying, okay, this isn't mine. I don't own this, or I don't have an expectation of the outcome. Because as soon as you have an expectation of the outcome and it goes the other way, you get frustrated, you get disappointed. Mm -hmm. You feel these, these anti positive feelings, these Absolutely. anti energies of forward movement. And the one thing that drives me bonkers is when people are like, you're being too aggressive. Okay. Are you using the word aggressive properly as in forward movement or in I'm rawr, the Hulk and I'm smashing stuff like aggression, aggressively moving towards your target is allowed. And people mm -hmm. are like, well, you got to change the word into something else and da, da, da. And I'm like, as soon as you change the word, it changes the meaning. Okay. Words matter. They do. And radical acceptance has taught me, and I've only done this for the last couple of years, like the last year. Yeah. The last year as of like 
two weeks ago, I can honestly say this, I have practiced radical acceptance and it has changed so much for me. Um, so hearing Burke do this with, with the, the uh, Buddhism and stuff, you know, knowing that he doesn't have a whiteboard in his office, it's reminds me that, Hey, I'm on the right path. And that echoes what Eric said earlier of these round table talks, you know, and that radical acceptance gents is a game changer. Cause as soon as you're like, okay, yeah, you're still going to have your moments and your triggers and stuff. And you're still going to be like, Rawr, but you're going to snap through them so much faster. It's not going to last weeks. It's not going to last, you know, hopefully not days, you know, the triggers might just be one day, you know, of insomnia and just be like, okay, okay, whatever. And you process this and you get through it. But that means that in 20 years, if I make it another 20 years or 30 years, those triggers are going to be like just flash pans of moments, you know, just that magician's flash paper, just quick. And it's going to be, oh, yeah, okay, cool. Move on. You know, where's my teeth? What? What? Okay, cool. And that's so cool that Burke's, you know, a Buddhist that rides a bicycle. No, no, he's not a Buddhist. Well, let's, let's just tease him. Just tease him. I'm just no teasing him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's that's um, what I have to say. Is the radical well, acceptance? Um, and and it's like I I had to accept one thing that I thought was good for me was my gaming. Like I just a slight brag. I was in the top point zero. No, yeah, point zero zero two percent of Warzone season. You know, back a bit. Uh, I was an awesome plunderer, but what was happening is I was playing it too late at night. So my heart rate and my anxieties and stuff where I thought I was doing good. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. I wasn't sleeping and I was getting like four or five hours of sleep. And I put a heart rate monitor on my wrist and I was like, holy shit, <laughs> like this is screwing me up. And I had to accept that. So I had to accept all these outside factors and be like, okay, here's the routine that's going to help Nate live longer. Right. And, you know, the, the fruit cleanse and all that healthy eating, but also the timetable of what I do in a day. And when I do it, you know, um, I only play an hour a day. That's it now. It's every day, but it's <laughs> only an hour. Right. And I hit the gym five times a week. Like I have to work out where my triggers are more like So that radical acceptance isn't just with certain little things. It has to be everything in life. It has to be across the whole board. And this last year, I have practiced what Bert was saying and what I'm trying to convey. And it has literally been a game changer for me. And I wish I had done it 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Like it would have made my career clearer to me. It would have made raising my kids. Actually, no, raising my kids, I was fucking awesome at. So we're just going to leave that alone because my boys are Renaissance man and they are fucking beasts. That's it. Okay. Yeah. So anyways, uh, the one thing I did right in my life, but having that radical acceptance, I wish I had bumped heads with Bert 20 years ago and had this conversation because it did change the last year and the things I've accomplished and what I've got going on now, like totally doing that. I've got aphids on my plants right now. Sorry. I'm not having a moment. Um, <laughs> Burke, when I was researching this one for your topic, um, I, it was something that I wish I learned a long time ago too. I think it would have helped me, especially when I did that transition from Army Air Force, because something that Nate said earlier about touching the tree, right? You know, work mode on, work mode off, you know, being able to just switch it off. I don't know if maybe basic just hit me in a different way than other people, and maybe because the artillery is big on history, but I just couldn't turn it off, right? 
I was, you're a soldier 24 seven, seven days a week. You get paid 24 hours a day. If they call you in, you know, you'd be proud. You go in. And when I, when I got to the air force and those people were just definitely not that way, not that way at all. Less duty, more honor for the air force. Right. I was, I, I, I couldn't handle it. I, I couldn't figure out how to detach from those thoughts. And it drove me, it drove me nuts. Right. Uh, and it, it, yeah, it took me down a dark path. And only now, like I'd say in the last few months that I really started looking into this. Um, and that's why I wanted to bring this into this, this podcast when I, because it does help when you can switch it off, when you can departmentalize, be like, okay, you know what? Work mode, home mode. I can have, I can enjoy myself at home. I can enjoy myself outside and not have to worry about work. Right. It it makes life so much more enjoyable because you don't have to try to be hyper vigilant 100% all the time because you need to take a break. You, you have to. And like you said, it's not that bad. You can't be constantly questioning what you did in the past for the mistakes that you made, trying to figure out how to fix the future when the future hasn't happened. Because all you end up doing is missing what's happening right now. Right, you lose the present because you're so fixated on fixing what you did before, so it doesn't happen again. That right now, just goes away. That's my. So well, I wanna, I wanna add on to that if I can, because, you know, my last few years in, I didn't practice any of this, and I, and, and I wasn't therapy at the time. I right? like the, the few years before I left uh, the calf, and it was everything was about work, everything was about duty. And one of the, looking back on it now, one of the main reasons was that was it was my way of building that armor around like that compartmentalization was wrapping myself in work. The the, the trauma from overseas and even before, and even before going overseas, it, it was such an ugly beast inside of me. Like the, the best medicine for it was being hypervigilant still and being all wrapped up in work. Um, you know, if the home life didn't matter, if everything was about work, then everything was about work and you just gave yourself to it and you saw the results from that. You know what I mean? And the home life deteriorated, but that didn't matter because everything at work was going great because you were giving yourself to your work. It's an ugly situation. I did it. Uh, it definitely resulted in my marriage going in shambles. It would have anyways. It just was faster. Um, but one of the, the, the worst side effects of it was leaving the military and you guys touched on it, that whole purpose and everything thing, right? Um, but leaving the military and not having that purpose, not having that job, not having that thing to make my life and my identity about was was one of the, the, the biggest problems. Not one of the biggest. It was the problem, right? Because didn't know how to replace that. Didn't know what to replace that with. So you and I see guys doing this all the time. We go on this massive journey to figure out what to fill that hole with, you know, and it ends up costing guys not just money, but time, but their energy ages us. And we make a lot of fucking mistakes during this time of transition. And I I wish I knew. I wish I knew. And my release from military was different than some guys, you know, like. The doc said, all right, your hands are not going to work in 20 years if you keep doing this, so medical release. And I was like, okay, what are my options? At the time, I was in regimental headquarters, and my my warrant at the time, uh, acting sergeant major at the time, 
I was ready to fucking kill. I was legitimately ready to kill. Uh, like, I'm a company man, right? Uh, duty before self, man. Like, you, you put on a uniform, is duty before self, right? And being the ops and training master corporal at the Dragoons and seeing the back door, like, close behind the doors bullshit of management, it, it just fucking killed a part of me. Right, this is the best guy for this course. Nah, I don't like him. We'll send this guy. Shit like that, just yeah, you know. And I was like, "Fuck it, VR." Six months, I'm fucking out of here. One of the yep. worst decisions because I kept doing my job until the month before. I went to JPSU a month before my release, and I released. I didn't even get my mug out. Nothing. No goodbyes. Yeah. No certificates. Nothing. Right. It was a bad decision, but but I had to at the time, or I felt like I had to. Why because, was it a bad decision? I'm gonna challenge you. Uh, why? Uh, because I ended up fucking myself over. I How? didn't go through. I didn't go through manual F. I didn't go through system. I literally went from uh, military uh, and uh, serving to non-military VAC and paycheck through VAC. Right and. Vac had lied to me at the time. I thought I was able to leave the military and go to school. That's what Vac had told me, right? Mm-hmm. But that's under the CSIP. That's under CSIP. Nope. But I didn't. Well, that's the thing. I know. If I had medically released. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right? Like, if I if I had medically released, it would have been completely different because it would have taken me uh, two, three years to release. I would have been in JPSU for a year, two years or whatever, I would have gone through manual life then. I would have received my first paycheck through manual life and then they are obligated to educate me through there, so on and so forth, right? None of that happened. None of that happened. I so, didn't get, I didn't qualify for education until I, I understand a year ago. I, but here's why it was a great idea because I was in the same boat. I had a sergeant major who had haunted me most of my career when from when he was a warrant so then he was back down to a sergeant. Then he was a warrant again. Then he finally made it to a master warrant officer. Lied to the uh, career managers and cost me per, uh, postings that would have helped save my kids from their abusive mother because we would have had to been forced in the court because of a posting. Okay, so there's a, there's a lot more. There's a huge ball of onion there. But where I'm going with this is it was the right thing for you because you were in such a toxic place that you needed that cancer to end. You That's needed true. it. I won't, I won't deny that. You're absolutely right about that. Yeah. JPSU, bless the guys that think they're doing good, but they're not. JPSU is a cesspool of you are micromanaged by people that can't soldier anywhere else. Okay. Come at me, bro, if you're in JPSU and you think you're doing a good job. <laughs> we'll talk. Okay? I'll put that out there. I stand by they what I say. They don't even exist anymore, do they? JPS doesn't exist. It's like the transition unit or something yeah, like that. Yeah, right? well, whatever they are. Okay. But back in at my time, I was I was sent to JPSU because I disagreed with my sergeant major because of his shit. It had nothing to do with the injuries that were found out later. Okay, so as they're trying to put me in JPSU, I was like, screw this shit. I'm not going to wait around five years for a medical release to come through because my medical release, I was granted it. Then they lost the paperwork. And I still not received a penny from that. CISIP still owes me money because of the medical conditions I was in. They'll never pay it to me. I had to fight with VAC. Okay. But I was taken out of that toxic environment. 
where guys were going and offing themselves because they couldn't handle the shit that was going on. So I, I challenge you to accept the fact radically, but wipe this off your whiteboard, that it was the right thing for you to put in your VR because accepting that right now is going to change your mindset for everything else. Cause once I accepted, Hey, I had to get out. I had to fucking be gone. It changed things for me. No, you're right. All these, all these years later, like I was like, man, I only made it to Sergeant working as a warrant. Like I was supposed to be promoted to captain and CFR. Like, Oh, what it could have should have rainbows and unicorns and you know, dragoon fucking shit. Like <laughs> zipper heads are nice. You guys have your purpose. Okay. But the shiniest boots out there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> whoa, 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 At least whoa, you're not strats. At least you're not strats. Oh, yeah. Okay. You got some gravy drinking strat. <laughs> gravy is a beverage, not a side dish. I learned yeah. that from the dragoons. So oh, unfortunately, yeah, it's, it's true. Yeah. Though. But getting back yeah. to it though, accepting that in the last few years, because like I said about that guy in the store, it was like, I, I was released. My career sucked. Like I was like you, I thought I was going to jump out of a plane one day and just dissipate into the fucking ether. Like I never expected to be out of the military. Right. But accepting that I had no control over it. And it was the best thing to get the fuck out of there in 30 days because they were toxic. I wanted out and I was, my friends were dying around me. The Anderson brothers, bless those boys. Okay. Look them up. Those two brothers. Like it, it, it's fucked up. So please do not beat yourself up for the decision because you could have had this money or this money. Money fucking comes and goes. You're still here because you got the fuck out and you had the balls to do it the way you did it. A mug out? Who fucking cares? Everybody's slapping each other on the ass. Oh, Sergeant Major, thanks for being my Sergeant Major. Oh, RSM. Oh, go fuck yourself. You know? <laughs> Like, seriously, my mug out was like, they give their little speeches. Everybody's all doing their thing. And I'm like, yeah, this is going to be great. And my kids were there too for mine because they got, I got called in on the day. And my Sergeant Major, the one who was haunting me, gets up there and his speech was, he's leaving us for higher education. I'd been in that unit for three going on four years. I'd run the biathlon. I've done all this stuff. Like I've won citations and stuff in that unit. Not a single word about it. And I looked at the Sergeant Major's. I looked at the troops, my peers and everything. I said, gents, sergeant majors, you know me, man, a few words. And I walked the fuck out. And I don't look back. Because it was the right thing. I was being disrespected, so why did they deserve my respect? And guys came up to me afterwards and were like, holy shit. You know, the guys who were truly my tribe, truly my friends. The other guys, fuck those guys. <laughs> And I love this expression because I used to be a former fat guy. It doesn't change the price of my sandwiches. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't, right? So please, radically Buddhist, accept that you did the right thing for you at the time. Because now, now you're you here with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're here yeah, with true, true. Who the fuck doesn't want to be with Eric? Cole, not so much, but Eric, come on, <laughs> right? Rob's awesome. <laughs> but you, you have the girlfriend, you have the daughters, you have the shit that you have now because of that decision when you made it. So anyways, I will I will I'll never deny that. I'll, yep. I'll never deny that. You're absolutely right. Like I, I'm a firm believer that I am in the moment today because of all the decisions that I made in the past. And That's you change it. one thing, you're not here anymore, right? So, yeah. Hindsight is a bitch, though. Yeah. Well, well let's be honest, but, right? But, but can, you, can you change it? There's no sense in wasting that energy no, looking no, back at not. something that you can't yeah. change. 
The uh, I'll, I'll I'll agree with you. The only way I'll challenge that is uh, because I'm a reflective person. The the only good thing that comes out of self reflection and beating yourself about those decisions mm-hmm. is maybe the possibility that you can stop somebody else from making that decision in the past. Because if you okay. dwell over it, if you analyze it, you might be able, especially in this scenario mm-hmm. where you're helping guys transition, right? Exactly. Yep. So that's the only good thing that comes out of it, right? And uh, the reason I say that is because uh, I, I've had you know, quite a few conversations with guys who are leaving or thinking about leaving, guys who haven't talked to in forever, and they just literally Instagram, they called me up and they're like, I'm thinking about leaving. What do you think my options are? What do you think I should do? You know what I mean? And that kind of means the world to me because these are guys that yeah. I like, still have the PDRs and PERs I wrote for. You know what I mean? Like, so... <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the thing is now you've done the recce. And exactly. sure, you, you fucked up here and there on the course, but you know it now, right? So you're, and this touches back to Eric's thing is having, to, when we were recce guys, you had to be three times fitter than everybody else because you had to go find it, come back and then lead them back out to it. So mentally you're stronger because you fucked up, fucked up, fucked up, fucked up. How many times can I say that? Right. And then unfuck, 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 and then lead them through it. So it's great. Now just don't beat yourself up about it anymore and just realize, okay, no. I need to tell somebody because nobody was there for me to tell me, stop, take a breath, breathe. Right? See how I tied that together, Cole? <laughs> wow, you did, you did excellent. This is why I bring you around. There, Cole. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're start wrapping up now. Uh, is there any final words from any of you? Anything you want to say to people, like, especially because like the whole premise of this this episode is about transitioning, whether it's transitioning coming home from deployment or transitioning from the military to civilian life, or even just transitioning from your job to retirement, like. Everything we've talked right now, anybody can use these these coping mechanisms. Anybody can use these examples. Doesn't mean you have to be military. You can be a police officer, you can be an EMT. You can just be somebody going from their office job to becoming to retiring. Right? Like you're going to have to adapt, and things can be scary, but it, they're not going to last forever. Final thoughts? Anybody go? Find the humor in a situation. Find find that that you can laugh at and it's going to take a lot of stress off of you. Talk to somebody. Whatever it is you're thinking, find that person that's going to open ear and talk to them because at least talking about it, doesn't matter what you receive in return, hearing yourself talk about it will help you process no matter what. Even if you have to talk to a fucking mirror, talk to a mirror because no matter what you're thinking, hearing it, having it come out of you is clarity. Right. So your journey is your journey. You can see the path that others have taken. You may be on there. Some of their path already. You're not walking their path fully. Your path may branch off of those that started with you. Doesn't mean you can't go back and talk to them. Like you're saying, talk to people, your path will lead you to where you want to go. And sometimes you have to walk it alone but there is others that are either in front of you or behind you or alongside you on that path. Even if you feel you're alone and, but it's still your own path. Eric, anything? Nah, no, Burke kind of stole my, <laughs> stole my <laughs> idea there. So I was like, Oh, I'll keep talking to people. Damn. Cause yeah. Uh, the other thing I could say is like, don't close your, uh, also don't close yourself off. Completely. Right. Yeah, it is. It might be your path, but uh, 
just be open and don't be afraid to to talk to others even if sometimes like again if they don't get it you don't get anything out of it at least you got something right just to hear yourself talk exactly exactly that's it right on all right we've covered some real life ways to combat the combat we need to leave in, to leave the field these tactics can serve as guides in transitioning from battlefield to home field reflect on these insights and consider how they can help shape your journey Again, I want to thank all my guests for coming on. You guys were amazing. Um, I'll be reaching out to you uh, shortly to ask you to come on for another podcast, if you're willing. Right. So yeah. everybody, good night. Thanks for having us. Good night, everybody. That was awesome. Take care. Yeah, it was. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to the Viking Psychology Podcast for more deep dives into important topics. Remember, in the modern battlefield of life, a warrior's strength lies not in just his prowess, but in the unwavering resolve to wield honor and integrity as their mightiest swords. Until next time, stay resilient, everybody. Before we dive into this, let's... Let's set the scene. Transitioning from the combat to home is no small feat. It's like coming home after a regular job. It's a culture shock. It's a systemic shift. It is the, one of the most common stresses of military life. You leave, you adapt, you change, you survive. But when society expects you just to turn it off, it's like trying to silence the echoes of war lingering in your mind. Now let's just do a quick round table and uh, everybody just introduce yourselves. We'll start off here with Rob. Rob? Hey everybody, uh, my name's Rob. I did 11 and a half years in the, the Canadian Armed Forces, uh, eight of those being with 2PPCLI, and then the last three and a half were with uh, 442 Squadron as an AVS tech apprentice. Um, I got out May of 2022 and just finished my Foundations of Welding course, so I'm going to be a welder in my post-military career. Nice. Burke? Hi, I'm, hey guys. I'm Eric. Oh. Where was that? <laughs> Go ahead, Eric. All right, chat. Hi, I'm Eric. I'm uh, currently an active member in the RCAF, working for 442 Squadron as a flight engineer on the Cormorant Search and Rescue Helicopter. Uh, I've been serving for eight, currently eight years now, uh, and five of that I was... Uh, uh, to start, I was an ABS technician. Then I transitioned over to a flight engineer. Nice. Welcome. Burke? Sorry about that earlier. Hi, guys. Burke, uh, I served 11 years, uh, 10 of it with the Dragoons uh, from 2007 until 2018. I got out uh, April 2018. Uh, been transitioning for the last six years. It's been hard. Uh, I tried to do the school thing last year, but... Um, at the right time in my life uh, i did a welding course as well love it it's uh the horse blinders the whole danger thing i, I love it it's it's amazing therapy but um uh you know um yeah that, that's about it let's yeah right on <laughs> nate my name is nate uh i started putting on the uniform back in 95 um I got out in 2012, so I've been a peacekeeper, peacemaker, and a warfighter. Uh, 
candlestick maker, lamp lighter. I know that's not, it's, it's a very diverse world that we get into when we get into Canadian forces. So just one trade doesn't really label what we are during our whole career. So for me, um, many, many hats. And then the last few years, well, 10 years since I retired medically, uh, I've been uh, a model. I've worked in marketing. I've worked in um, private investigation. I've worked in um, raising funds for human trafficking rescues and doing some other crisis awareness things and cool guy action stuff just to try to stay relevant in the world. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that's me. I served in the light infantry, Patricia's, who up, you know, a Rickadam, Rickadoodam, uh, so something like that. Anyways, but uh, yeah, now I'm happy to be on this show because uh, what other brighter things do you have to do in your day than to be on this podcast? Nice, good. All right, <laughs> we're gonna kick this off now. So, the School of Hard Knocks teaches us to accept the, per the present moment, even when it's tough. Picture this. You're in the middle of thick of it, bullets flying, explosions shaking the ground, and suddenly it's over. You're back home, but the war inside your head rages on. How do you accept your reality? So vast, like so vastly different, like the battlefield, the home field. Um, so we're going to start with Nate. Nate's going to take us through kind of some of the coping mechanisms, some of the things that he's learned over his time for that transition period. Right. So the first thing I want to I want to start off with is is paint this picture that you 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 leave civilian life and you become a soldier. You go through your basic training, your indoctrination, uh, combat arms. You go through again. Remember, I'm I'm dated back in the '90s here. So you leave civilian world. Everything's all neon colors and funky and cool and fresh and shooters and bar life and clubbing and you know Candyman and Barbie Girl. Then it's you know you leave the Spice Girls behind and you start going through the, the indoctrination of these French people that you're going through Saint-Jean with and you're just there and your world is shocked and you know um, I want to make this point very clear I when I left civilian world I left the farm jumped on a plane showed up in Quebec sat there they gave us a bunch of paperwork signed our lives away it was all good and the mass corporal goes okay this piece of paper put all your banking information on it and I put my hand up and he goes, what is it? And I said, I don't have a bank account. And he goes, don't worry about it. We'll get you one. Hand goes up again. He goes, what is it? And I said, um, I don't have any money. And he goes, shakes his head, a little frustrated. And I'm thinking there's something wrong between the translation of English and French. And he goes, well, where do you want your pay to go? Hand goes back up. He goes, what? And I said, I don't have a job. Okay, so that was my mindset getting into the army. I was getting free food. I got to wear the uniform, run around with guns. It was like camping with guns and that was it. That's all I cared about. Okay, so that was my mindset going into this, this party. So <laughs> he got me a bank account. I realized I was getting paid. I was like, no shit. So <laughs> got my paycheck, got it sorted out, go through all that. Then you get to battle school. Now you're not just a basic pri uh, private. You're you're a war machine. You are the emphasis and epitome of death and destruction. You're saying to yourself every day when they you know, wake you up in a, in a class, you're like, close with and destroy the enemy. Whoa, right? That's your mindset. So then you go from that and you do that for a bunch of years and da 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 da, and you start to you know 
build little things around you. You have your little hobbies. Mine was biathlon and, and my kids. And you have that outside world. But the army keeps reminding you, if we wanted you to have a family, we would have given you one. So you're like, you're torn, right? Like, oh, okay, whatever. And then you start going towards the special forces route or you start doing this route and you're like, ah. And then all of a sudden, bam, you're up for a promotion and they're like, oh no, your medical's expired. So you run down to the unit medical station. They tell you to go to the base hospital. The doctor comes in with a file and says, do you like being in the infantry? And you're like, oh, I do. And she goes, do you like being in the army? And you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I love it. I love being in the army. <sighs> Are you sure you like being in the military? And you're like, yeah, this is where I get my paychecks that they've been giving me. This is great. I get free underwear and socks. And she goes, yeah, no, you have this many injuries that you shouldn't even be functioning anymore. So we're going to release you in 30 days. So now all of a sudden you've come to a full stop. It's, that's the picture I want to paint. Okay. So I want to take that and then we're going to come back and I can see some nods already with agreement and certain things. You go on your first deployment. You're excited. You work for like a year or a year and a half to get ready for the six months overseas, right? It's like the most important thing in your world and you're balancing and scheduling everything around it. So you can go do this job because everybody's told you, you have to do this job you know, to get that check in the box and feel like it. And you join the military to travel, to do this. This was your whole purpose, right? You spent all that time going through basic and battle school and training and sacrificing time and getting up at four stupid dark Buffalo to, you know, five days later, finally going back to bed. And this is your purpose. This is your whole energy. When you ramp that high up and all of a sudden you, you come back on the plane and they're like, Hey, you just left the war zone. We're going to let you go drink your faces off for four days. Okay. To decompress. So you can expand back into this miraculous superhero that you were at home being super dad and super husband and whatever, but it's going to take you four days of drinking and rappelling off the top of hotel buildings and stealing scooters <laughs> and doing all this stupid shit. It's not fully decompressing. All you're doing is taking a depressant and yeah, as we all take a drink, you know, so we're taking that stuff and we're, we're cramming that energy into a different pocket because you know what we do in the military we do it better than any other industry in the world. Compartmentalize. Mm -hmm. We take that shit and we put it in a freaking sock drawer. And we, and we roll that sock up. So every time we pick that sock up and look at it, it smiles at us because the fold is the right way. Because that's how we've been trained. Okay? Right? We all, you know what I'm talking about. Yep. Basic training. That sock. And we put our name on it. You know, our last four and our, 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 our last three. First, th first four and last three. Sorry, it's been a while. I'm dyslexic. <laughs> but we put it on there. We, we know that's our stuff when we leave it there. But we never deal with it. So for me, when I would come back um, every day when I was in third, three VP, there was a tree on base and I'd walk past that tree twice a day on my way to work and my way home from work because I lived on base and I would touch that tree and I'd touch one side of it and I'd tell my brain, activate work mode. Okay. It sounds stupid, but boys, it was a game changer for me because home was safe there. Okay. I didn't have pictures in my pocket or anything like that. There was no talismans. I literally switched on that beast mode. 
went to work, did my stuff, dealt with everything there. And at the end of the day, no matter what time it was, I touched the tree on the other side. Now, the people that owned the house or lived in the house that I was touching the tree, I thought it was a little awkward because it was by their bedroom window. Maybe that was helpful. I don't know. I'm just kidding. But I touched that tree and I'd walk <laughs> home and it was good. The other thing I did was I got dressed at work and I changed into PT strip to go home. I did not wear my uniform home. That was what was helpful to me at the time. And when I put my uniform on, I don't know if it's like you guys or not, I felt like I was in the Justice League headquarters or the Avengers Tower, whatever nerdy thing you go with. I go with Justice League because I'm a Green Lantern fan. It felt like I was suiting up. It felt like that was my armor. That was me. That was the real me being released into the world of who I truly was. Because me as a dad was different. My primal instinct to defend my kids and my wife, my spouse, was different than that. I am a warrior who's going to die for my country if called upon today. There's two different people, okay? And on that note of the two differences, we have two wolves inside us, okay? If we, if we actually embrace the, the Vikingness and, and the psychology of it is we have two wolves, okay? And when I say we have two wolves, there's two sides to a man. And ideally, you want to be a destructive monster that is capable of burning down anything and everything that gets in the way of his desires. But you also have to be able to control that. If you can't control that, then you're not truly a man, okay? You're not what the, the world needs of a man. If you don't have that ability to be destructive, then you are just a weak person who hasn't balanced himself out. And on that same note, before I get, you know, whatever, and I love this conversation, is you can train yourself to balance it out. You can go from being that docile individual who can't defend themselves to being that other one. So you have the capability. So now that I've painted that picture, when I got medically released, it was a rough, rough few years. Like I got released. So my 20s, basically, it was all military lifestyle. Okay. And it was go, 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 go. And I made it high in the ranks and I was kicking ass and I had awesome kids. My thirties hurt like a kick in the, the junk. Like the frozen muckluck had been frozen with 50 years of hatred in it. I had a horrible divorce. I got alienated from my kids. So a custody battle that was horrific. Uh, my military support, because I was in two RCR at the time, um, was toxic. It, it wasn't support. It was, we're done with you, go away, right? And um, I'm, I'm not lamenting or like, oh, it's, it's, these are facts. This is truly what happened. My mug out was, he's leaving for higher education. That was a 30 second speech for me after so many years in the military. And it was like, oh, okay, cool. You guys don't want me off, I go. So for me, transitioning was very hard. I had no purpose. My purpose was done. And when I hear you guys talk about your welding courses and education and stuff, um, my thirties hurt so bad, but I was in so much pain that I was like, okay, I need to find a purpose. Like, this is ridiculous. Guys that were going through similar things were committing suicide. And it was, it was rough. Like my friends were, what do the kids call it? Unaliving themselves or whatever they go with. And it was happening on such a great scale that I was literally like, holy shit, I'm next. I'm, and I was like counting the clock. Like, what do I do? So I started a program called Subtle Warrior where I know how to purpose. My pain 
can be their guide to something else. And I'm a recce guy. So I was like, okay, well, I've already, I've already looked down the abyss. Let me show you how not to do that. And it's, I've had so many questions for you guys. Cause I, I made my purpose to help people transition, to help guide them, to coach them. Like I was an Olympic level biathlon coach. And even that was taken away because I had to focus on my kids and trying to win them back and everything. That was my whole goal. But I balanced up my two wolves and this is where I tie it all back together, right? Where you revisit is my purpose was to help fellow veterans transitioning. And then the destructive side, like the burn down villages was fighting for the welfare of my sons. And that's what I did. And unfortunately I didn't do it very well. And I lost one veteran in the program. Um, and I lost, I completely lost my sons for six years, uh, to parenting alienation. So I didn't balance that stuff properly. So I had two wolves, but I wasn't feeding them right. And now that I'm in my forties, I have done better. And I've, I've realized that, and I've done the work to stop in place, reassess instead of just reacting and trying to push through all the time. So with that long story rant over, uh, Eric, you're still in, you've, you're, you've, you're wet behind the ears. I can, I can still smell your mom's breast milk. Right. So it's, it's <laughs> you, we're your future. Right. And then I see Burke down there and he's like, yeah, I tried school not to call you out on it, but just to communicate about it. And I remember when I had um, the schooling person from the March of Dimes, she came to the house and was like, what do you want to, what do you want to do now? We're gonna put you through school. And I'm like, oh, this is great. I have certificates in conflict resolution, negotiation, mediation, and all this stuff. And she's like, uh, okay. And I said, well, I also have, I'm, I'm two school years away from finishing my degree in coaching because coaching is an actual profession and I made it to level four and there's five levels. Like I want to do this. And she's like, no, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. And I said, okay, what about this mediation stuff? And she goes, well, write me up a business plan. I said, oh, cool. No problem. Because there's nobody in the area doing what this is. I've got these certificates, right? You know, and she's like, okay, cool. So I write up this business plan. I pour my heart and soul into it because this is going to be my purpose. Finally, like I'm finally going to feel useful, not just Nate in a box doing nothing, sitting around collecting a VA check or whatever. Like this is going to give me something to feel like a man again. So she comes back, she goes, yeah, your, your, your business plan is not viable. And I says, that's weird. I bounced it off my peers in the industry. And she goes, no, no, you need more education to do that. And I says, no, I, I have the highest level of certificate you can get in Canada for this stuff. Like, I don't even need you. I can go out and do this myself. I just want you guys to help me upgrade. She goes, no, no, you need an actual degree. Cause I was talking to some lawyers and some other people. I was like, wait a minute, you, you took my business plan to people. She goes, yeah, I went to who your competitors would be in Fredericton at the time. And showed me your business plan. And and she goes, they said it was it was wrong, you need more education. And I was like, huh, that that's weird. Because a year later they all started implementing what I had put in there. So I had to fight. I had to fight with somebody who was supposed to be on my side to help me get education. So she was trying to push me to become an administrative assistant in somebody else's office. I had a hundred and fifty troops on my last deployment that I was responsible for. And now you're going to make me go be a guy at somebody's office and just do their paperwork every day. That doesn't spark my passion. That doesn't spark my interest. So when we transition from 
the battle space to the real world, we have to have something that sparks our interest. For me in the military, it was biathlon and my kids. And that's what, so that's how, that's how I was able to manage to balance it, go from war fighting to this. I love being in the battle space, boys and girls. I loved launching out of that lav or coming out of whatever vehicle that we we're coming out of, be it assault boats or lavs or just throwing on our shoes and running beside everything else because we were three VP and everybody else is on wheels and tracks. Who cares? But at Battle Space, I knew what I was doing. I knew what my purpose was. I knew there was an enemy that direction. I had the tools and stuff to close with and destroy. So for me, transitioning and balancing out my two wolves has been really hectic and, and it's been a battle. And when I see other veterans starting to do it and go through the process. Oh, by the way, I did get that lady fired, by the way. She doesn't do the schooling stuff anymore. So now that I painted that picture, I'm going to ask this question. And this is about the two wolves. Okay. There's a dark wolf and a light wolf. Okay. There's the masculine energy of destruction, not just going to the gym and pumping iron, but of protecting your house, protecting what you have and saying to somebody, you're full of shit. You know, being able to stand up to somebody and say, I don't agree with your opinion. That's the dark wolf. That's healthy. Okay. Getting inside somebody's face and screaming at them and yelling at them that they're wrong and just being belligerent is not masculine. It's not the dark wolf and it's not the light wolf. It's the fear wolf. That's the fear. Okay. And that's when you, you dip into something different. And that's when both are, are conflicting with each other. So the light side is puppies and gardening and dogs and horses and putting on nail polish with your daughters while they're having a tea party. Burke's got four of those going on every day, right? <laughs> so that's the light side and being gentle with your family and letting your guard down and having that time. So to echo it one last time, the dark side was military life and that soldiering and the light side was the family and the coaching and the community. And for me, I lost all of that when I turned 32. It was a struggle for everything left, right? And I've kind of found my way back. I've stopped completely and stopped hunting these wolves and just letting them do their thing. Hell, I'm taking a yoga course next week. Like, come on. So it's, it's, it's different. So I'm going to ask you guys, Rob. What's up? How do you nurture your light side? Three things you do every day for your light side. Keep uh, impressed with movies. I've got my my cat that I got as soon as I moved into my apartment after leaving. Nice. And uh, well, I don't know if you can see behind me, but I got some some plants that I take care of. So little little stuff like that. I'm a caretaker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the thing is we are caretakers. That's why we joined the military, most of us, because we are caretakers. So what three things do you do for your dark side? Uh, again, video games, violent video games. <laughs> um, I hit the gym as much as I can. Good. And, uh, I don't know. There's some outlets at work. Because working with metal, sometimes you have to heat it and beat it, right? So. <laughs> and you have a process. You're actually achieving something at the end of the day. You have a product that you can put out there. Absolutely. And that's... That's that's awesome. Um, your violent video game is it Warzone? No, it's actually uh, PUBG Mobile. Okay, I think less of you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> we'll Sorry. circle back to that one. Sorry. No, so that's great. So, 
Now I'm going to jump, jump to uh, Burke. What are your three things for your light side? Uh, <laughs> kids, for one. Uh, my partner, my girlfriend. Um, it's it's love. Um, yeah. You know, uh, my I have three stepdaughters and I have a daughter. Right? My daughter lives with my ex, who's an absolute cunt. <laughs> but my my stepdaughters are like they're my joy. They're yeah. uh, they. They humble me. They, you know what I mean. So, besides that, um, I do my best to sweat my balls off on that. That's both. I like to think as uh, the light wolf and the dark wolf because I get a lot of anger and frustration out on that. But there's also a sense of accomplishment that I get from it as well. Yes. Right. Um, besides that, I I do my best to create things with my. I do scale modeling and stuff. Right. Um, so and then. On top of that, self-improvement, reading. I, I enjoy reading. I, I expanding my knowledge base. I like to think that feeds the the, the light wolf as well. So okay, no, that's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, cardio is is good for for everything because it opens up so much. And when I was doing biathlon, I do cardio two hours a day. If I couldn't get on my skis, it was in the gym, and I'd just be running. Yeah, that's awesome. So now for your dark side, because you do have all that positive light. What about the other side? Well, uh, that, because 20 minutes on that, I don't feel my legs, I don't feel my hands, thanks to my stupid fucking spine injuries, and you guys can imagine, right? Including knees and hips and sciatics and all that stuff, right? Um, that really angers me, because if I'm not in my zone, if I'm not centered emotionally, um, uh, internally, it always brings back... You know, being hurt, not going to the MRI, pushing on, which at the end of the day made me worse, right? Um, I spent two years after my primary injury still doing the job, which just destroyed my neck. And like now, anything above this, my hands go tingly. You know what I mean? Like I can't, I still wear a rock. I still go hiking, but 20 minutes, I don't feel my hands. Same thing on that. So sometimes when I, like I said, when I'm not in my center, that really feeds that. Uh, dark wolf because it brings out all that past anger that I have towards myself right and and it's always a give and take because at the time when you're doing it years ago you know you're doing it for love of the uniform you're, you're not you're you're a warrior you're not sure you're hurt you go to the doctor that you go you tell like no no, no it's okay just just give me light duties I got exercise coming up next week I'm gonna go anyways you, you know what I mean like how many times did I tell the doctor to give me the chip that I wanted so I could still go to the field right Absolutely. like <laughs> so um Besides that, to be honest with you, I don't know what else I do to feed um, that whiteboard right there. Um, I spent the last year or so, um, not last year, sorry, the last three years or so developing or doing my best to develop a business plan. I I want to help veterans transition as well, Nate. Like uh, you and I off uh, offline could probably talk a lot about this, but I, mm -hmm. I gave up on it. I, I because I kept on hitting roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. On one side, some of my peers and some professionals would tell me that I had a great idea, but I had nothing to materialize it with. But that was the trouble that I was having getting the sport um, to uh, get getting the sport to materialize my dreams. Right? Um, I I always say, or I, I always said, I want to transition. Uh, so I um, I want to change the, the transitional landscape, right? Um, so I have a lot of anger towards myself for giving that up. That's the reason why I keep this whiteboard up uh, to remind me of all the things that I failed at. That really feeds the dark wolf. Um, let's just say that that's three things. I don't know what the oh, third. Okay, so I'm going to challenge. I'm going to challenge you on that. All right. 
why why do you okay because i did the same thing i i fucking leaned pardon I, is this a family show Bleed no that no out. you're good to go man i'm referring to baby seals okay good no disney here no disney yeah yeah that's a whole other topic i'm gonna i want to challenge you burke because when you like i leaned into the the, the anger dude i was an alien for my kids I was being bullied and harassed by RCMP. I was getting bullied and harassed by MPs. People I'd never even met were following me around because somebody else was telling stories about me that were completely false and, and disproven. My whole world was crumbling. So I could, I, I could feel that I could, I could feel the dark side, young Padawan. <laughs> and I was like, I don't really want to do that. So I'm going to challenge you. Why, why do you allow the failure to look at it as a failure and not as like, these are lessons learned because now I have to go this direction. Because I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I had the 45 acres of land, the business. I had everything going right. I let the wrong people in. And I let the parasites feed off of my rotting corpse that was still walking around. And it destroyed everything I had. So that's my fault. But I don't beat myself up over it. It's like, oh, I learned something. I learned that people can be shit. I learned that I deserve better. And I don't look at the things I failed as failures. I look at it as, okay, these are lessons learned. As soon as I flipped that switch, because I had that board, I had like my prison cell with all my failures holding me back. And now I look at them as lessons. You know and I, mean? I, I, I challenge you to flip that this week. Give yourself some grace and go, okay, I've learned. Because it's AARs, right? It, you're, you're reviewing what you've done. You're not like, oh, man. I didn't, I didn't step out of the lab fast enough when, when the, the guy with the miles gear was shooting at me and you know, whatever, whatever, just an arbitrary thing. Okay. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like if you look at it as lessons learned, then you're really feeding the dark side. Okay. Not the, the Sith dark side, but the dark side, like my, okay, I can take that anger and use it as a stop gap. So it doesn't happen again. So it reminds me when I'm in the same situations that now I'm aware that these sensations and feelings in these people. So what do I have to change to be successful again? Okay. That's an education that has cost money that you have in your pocket that normal people don't have. And that's what I would challenge you with on that for your dark side. Okay. And I see Cole shaking his head like, Oh yeah, no, 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 great. 100%, I'm man, jumping on him yeah. next. Don't worry, boys. I'm going on <laughs> him like a fat kid on a twink. Okay. No, but like, no, that, so so Burke, that's why I challenge you with for your dark side. Okay. Don't look at them as, as failures. Fuck. I did that for 20 You're 40. I'm five years ahead of you, brother. Okay. Like that little stubble you got growing there, this, it will come in. Okay. <laughs> and then you'll have beard companies paying you to oil it up and everything. So I say I'm 40, but I'm 30. So I'm going to make the situation worse. I'm just, I'm in the fear of the 40. Oh, you're uh, even fucking fear of it. I hate you. <laughs> okay. Uh, and you know, uh, this is a complete side note. Like my, my parents are young. My dad is, uh, just turned 60 and he got pretty ill last year, which kind of brought the reality check of, uh, of life and such, you know what I mean? Uh, so that's one of the reasons why I, I'm turning a new leaf, no whiskey in my diet, no nicotine in my diet, eating healthier. And you know what I mean? Okay. So it's just, yeah, it's, we'll see how things go. <laughs> Good. Now, just to, to tell you, when I was 40, when I was 39, turning 40, I was 340 pounds. I actually had a doctor look at me and go, you did biathlon, you are grossly out of shape. Okay. So <laughs> the health stuff, do it. Because the other thing that's going to happen is those girls that look up to you as their dad, they're going to see positive things. Okay. So they're going to look for that type of man. 
And if your partner has the same approach to healthy living, they're going to look at her and go, okay, we're going to emulate that. Because daughters emulate the same lifestyle their moms have. So anyways, enough about that. Let's start picking on Cole now. <laughs> oh, bring it. Oh. oh, yeah. On the couch, little man. All right. <laughs> Cole, welcome to the show. How old are you? How old am I? I'm 41. 41. Okay. And you've been out how long? You're not I out have yet. Not. No, no, I'm not out yet. I uh, took the retirement job, joined the Air Force for the, uh, my 17 years in the artillery. <laughs> that That leather chair was comfy, isn't it? Oh man, it's amazing. Right? Right. Okay. So your light side, three things that you do. So I'll start a little bit with the, not the dark side, but the wrong dark side. Uh, switching from the army, to the air force, I thought military's military. Everything's the same. Yeah. No. I was expecting it to be a, or, a little bit better organized. I was expecting to have more money, you know, cause that, that's what you saw when you were in the army. You, you see these guys living in hotel rooms, you know, their uniforms were nice. Most of them were in shape because they had plenty of PT time and none of them were hurt. You know, you saw warrant officers at 65 years old getting mandatorily retired because their bodies were working perfectly fine. They could sit on the floor at 65 and play with their their grandkids. And it was like, huh, it's got to be better. It's and I hear they're great serial killers. Right? Yeah. And uh, Sorry. They, like going, they like going duck hunting and stuff like that too in off season, throwing guns in the water. Anyways. <laughs> It put me in a very bad place, put me in a very bad mood. I was, okay. it was toxic to everybody because I hated how weak I saw people. I hated how soft I saw people and I hated how there was no structure. You had a rank, but that was just for pay. Other than that, nobody gave a shit. People talked that privates were telling sergeants to go fuck themselves and they're getting away with it. Warrant officers weren't even showing up for work, but uh, calling in to make sure their people showed up because they just didn't care. So it took me a little while, um, actually took me getting moved to Moosejaw here with the, the snowbirds to actually find my light side. And part of that was, this is probably the closest to the army you'll get. These people love what they're doing. They're mm -hmm. proud to work for the snowbirds. They're proud to go on the road. You know what? They get up every day and they want to work. Their professionalism is high. Very, but they've had no real mentorship because the, the leaders they get in are soft from other units. And I found that that would be my niche. So part of my my light wolf is I'm taking a lot of these younger techs and I'm mentoring them on how to be leaders, how to be the type of leader the, the Air Force needs. And they're loving it and they're eating it up and they're doing really well. And then that helped me have a better home life. So my kids, my wife, that is the other side of things, my dog, and I love it. It's, uh, it's allowing me to, to be better and press forward and yeah so for the light side it's that it's the mentoring and yep. it's the uh the family life for the dark side it's what helped me get over the the toxic side i'm hitting the gym more because that was something that i stopped doing in comox i stopped going to the gym really because i just didn't see a point nobody else was fit nobody else really gave a shit about anything so why should i um but now i go to the gym more i'm taking my son out and actually we go shooting, we are hitting the range, we do some hand-to-hand -hand combat. Like I'm showing him what it takes to be a man. <laughs> um, an eye-opener the other day was watching that movie that just came out, uh, Leave the World Behind. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys seen it. Yep. You should you should watch it, keep an open mind. Uh, the Obamas helped write it, so <laughs> whatever you think of them. But it was, uh, mm -hmm. it was interesting. And one point, I won't give the whole movie away, Ethan Hawke, his character, mm -hmm. came out and said, I am a useless male. 
And I thought of that and I thought of what is going on in the world right now, how everything's so automated. People need their cell phones for a map. They, they, they can't even read road signs. And I really took that and I told my son, I'm like, you will never be a useless male. I had him go change a tire the other day. I showed him how to, like I took it down to our auto body shop and I showed him how to use the tire machine because that's what I used to do as a kid with my dad. Because I, and that's part of my dark wolf. I want to prepare him for if anything happens, he isn't going to look at his kid and be like, I'm a useless male. I don't ever want that. So in that, that right there is your, your, that one there, you're blending two of the wolves. You're finding that balance between the two by mentoring your son and then giving the skills and coaching and nurturing. So you're showing the harder sides of life and the mentoring at the same time, which right. is phenomenal. I like how you had time based on the other two's answers to, you know, really reflect on yours. So when I jump on Eric now, he better have his shit fucking wired tight. Okay. Cause, uh, he's, he's only got to transition from the coffee room to his, his bedroom, right. Or whatever. Well, he took the bed out. Right. But here we go. Okay. Eric, you've been in for eight years, right? Your air force, I believe. Yeah. Been air force the entire time. Yeah. The hairstyle tells it. So, It's so true. <laughs> it used to be shorter. I imagine it's not fading. You just have a drive-in forehead. So I got to give you shit. You're in the Air Force. It's all good. No, it's fair. Fair play. What fair play. It's for you balancing those two wolves. I want to know what you do at the end of the day first to decompress. Because yeah, we give the Air Force shit, but do you guys know that the Air Force has more harassment complaints than any other? branch of the military in Canada more harassment complaints per yeah. soldiers or, you guys aren't soldiers don't ever call yourself soldiers you're wearing blue okay okay Navy uh, whatever anyways I'm having a moment <laughs> go with me you're you're flight people you're whatever chair force but you're not soldiers I used to be so, I used to be on the chair force side okay so <laughs> on that side like mm-hmm. to, to paint the picture for those listening at home all three followers today of mine <laughs> It's a more corporate kind of a uh, system, right? Corporate. Yeah, 100% and, I could. Yeah, and an, a corporate industry with uh, some industrial sides and some blue-collar kind of stuff to it, okay? So right. it, it does have its challenges. It's uh, you definitely time management so you can get to the gym and make it to coffee breaks six times a day with the warrant. <laughs> what do you do? I know I'm poking a lot of fun what do you do to decompress at the end of the day? Cause it still has its stresses. True. Well, it's, I would say it, it kind of like the stresses have drastically changed from where I started as okay. ABS. Cause like that was 100% corporate. You hit the nail on the head with that. It was, you try to, you know, cause I was in a lab. I wasn't like first line repairing aircraft and stuff like that. I was in a lab. They would send us stuff. So I would sit at a bench and fix things. But I, I enjoyed it, right? Because like you're, ta- you're ripping a box apart and you're going around, rooting around, finding what's broken in it and then soldering, repairing it, testing it, all that stuff, slapping Better. it all together. But uh, yeah, to de-stress now, it's kind of... It, I've switched over from because I used to just game a lot. Uh, now I it's it's I'm trying to this year I'm trying to be a little bit more constructive constructive because I have a little bit more energy after work because now my job is a lot more physical. Okay. So, uh, 
now I do game, not going to lie, but I read more and I've actually tried to take up some more of my hobbies as well and try to do that because a lot of, for a while, it was in a bit of a funk. So Dude. like I wouldn't, you know, you're just kind of caught in that same loop. So <laughs> the other thing I try to do to decompress now is I actually try, I, I, I tried candle making of all things. Neat. Yeah, with beeswax candles. Cole, so Cole can attest. Yeah, mind my own beeswax, but uh, Cole can attest to that because yeah, uh, they're good yeah. candles. Yeah, I still have that. I still haven't used it all yet. So I just want to point out one thing that mm. you mentioned about the the craft. Okay, we go back to the welding mm. and stuff. You have something tangible. Yeah, that you can look at and say, "I did that." Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've worked with guys, uh, SF guys, and different you know, whatever blackout the faces, whatever stuff, <laughs> and when they retire. One of my friends, he takes old whiskey barrels and makes pens. And he's completely happy. Another friend makes soap. Now, these these are some of the most badass dudes that I've ever met where you're like, you know, they're stacking bodies back in the day. And now they're just, oh, I'm making soap. Do, 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 do. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so you're on the right path. And you're going to hear a lot of stuff and a lot of shit that we talk and we give you a lot of shit and Cole apparently loves you because he gives you shit, but you're going to find things that we say that are going to make sense as things pop up because your radar's tuned to it for decompressing. So for, for me, uh, I was working at a supplement store a couple of years ago. Okay. I love, I love supplements. I love coaching. Uh, like I said, my background is coaching and, and physical fitness and, and everything. Right. So I'm working in the store. Plus it got me out of the lockdowns during that thing that happened. So I'm working in the store. I'm loving it. I'm working with people and I've got the tattoos and stuff. And they always ordered the Schmedium shirt for me, which actually was a running joke because they never got me one that fit because sales went up on certain ladies days or whatever. So anyways, so I'm standing there, right? So I'm standing there and this guy comes in and I've never met him before in my life and he's buying some stuff and I give him some recommendations and he's like, well, you're a big guy, you work out. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a big guy, I work out, obviously. And he's like, well, how much protein do you eat in a day? And I'm like, I'm at 300 grams. And he's like, oh shit. And I was like, okay, I don't know you, but yeah, sure. Let's just make the sale and get you what you need, buddy. So he goes through, does all this stuff. He gets the cash and he's like, so uh, how long have you been working here? And I'm like, God, oh, it's been about a year. And he's like, oh, what do you do before that? And I, I can recognize the posturing. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I know I worked here or whatever. And he's like, yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a prison guard. I'm a I'm a whatever commander of the donut shift. What? Okay, now I'm not making fun of prison <laughs> guards, okay? I have a lot of friends. But the way this guy was communicating was asinine. And he was like, yeah, well, I'm the shift watch, whatever, super duper, uber man, SpongeBob, SquarePants man. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And he goes, well, what did you do? And I said, well, I was, I was in the infantry. And he goes and dead fucking pant. He looks at me and he's like, oh, and now you work here? Mm -hmm. The dark wolf already had him by the throat and was like, what are you talking about, you little pissant? I can manage this. <laughs> but the light side was like, yeah, apparently I didn't do good enough because I have to serve assholes like you. <laughs> but my actual filter was, yeah, now I work here. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoy the product. I look forward to talking to you. And he's like, yeah, okay. Now he's like, the shoulders are back, right? <laughs> I'm somebody, right? And I was like, okay, off you go. So I called up his boss who I'd been working with for some security <laughs> programs. <laughs> and I asked about him. I was like, hey, man, what's this guy like? And he's like, 
eh, he's okay. And I said, well, just tell him that, you know, you, you say hi, that I know him or whatever. And he's like, why? And I was like, well, he came into the store and he's kind of a dick. And he's like, what? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, okay. And this guy's ex-military as well. So anyways, <laughs> never saw the guy again, but it was, so where I'm going with all this is that the perception of who we are has to be strong for us to be balanced, right? And if we actually go with a Viking mindset, we load up our boat, we get our shit together, and we paddle off into the unknown to go face something. We get there, plunder, rage, pillage, whatever, berserker, rah, okay? Modern times, we don't burn down villages, ideally. We go into them and we figure out how to be among them and work it. Most of the times, those Vikings would become farmers, which it was a skill set they already had. And they would build something on the other side because it wasn't always jump in the boat, repeat, jump in the boat, repeat, jump in the boat, repeat. They may have done that a few times through their you know early years, but they always end up either dead or farming and building something. And they would literally turn their boat into something. So joining the military today, my advice is be aware that you're going to have to turn that boat into a house eventually. That's good. That's good. Okay. Uh... Good spot to transition to our next one. Nate I'm is always like, good about the outro. He's like a general strategizing the battlefield in mind, right? If anybody needs just, a good talk, Nate's just a got je- it. Just a jester drinking his whiskey. That's it. And if so, his little screen there doesn't do him justice. You guys need to find him on Instagram. This guy is a beast. So when he's oh. talking about you know wearing a medium girls t-shirt it's literally a, a bra on him just so you guys know just put just it all in the context just, just one yeah just one. right we're gonna prom titty in <laughs> yeah so the next point i want to talk about is going to be strategies for emotional resilience and i'm gonna turn that over to eric to to start the conversation um what eric doesn't touch on because he is very modest <laughs> is that he's not just an fe he's an fe with startex so this is the guy that could be on operation every day. He can go out and save somebody one day. The next day, he's going out to locate, you know, a lost hiker. Um, Sartex, FEs that work with him, the flaker that work with him, they have to be able to switch it off and on daily because some of the shit that they see is it's dark, and some of it's it's some of it's light is is great, right? When you save somebody, amazing. When you not don't get there in time, it can do a toll. And if it happens multiple times, it can definitely do a toll. So Eric, why don't you take this off? Oh, yeah. It's, uh, I can start with a, a little bit of the basics, like where, where to kind of start. Like a good starting point for, for me was um, actually the – there's a program in the military called R2MR. If you, I'm not sure if anyone's heard about that. It's actually a good – I, I, I think a good kind of framework to kind of get your foot into the door with talking about mental resilience and how, how you have to start off with small little things like small little stressors and then constantly kind of stressing you out a little bit more and then eventually gradually getting to bigger and bigger, bigger and bigger stresses. But it's also kind of trying to find that balance so you're not, you don't just get jaded, right? But I find the R2MR, yeah, it's a good good way to start the conversation, but it's, it doesn't kind of go past, you know, these basic fundamental building blocks because you kind of have to figure out which way, how to cope the best that works best for you. And Cole knows right away, I like to, like to talk way too fucking much. And Rob knows too. What? So, 
and 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 that's because I like I like discussing things. I love and the other and story time and whatever. Like I love just sitting back, hanging out with other vets. Well, with vets, because I'm not I'm not a vet. What am I talking about? But uh, with uh, vets and hearing their stories and their experiences and just kind of sitting back and kind of listening and then seeing what things I can actually relate to with that and kind of you can get a little bit of what um, to kind of ex- uh, expect like I thoroughly enjoy talking with the other FEs that have been in for for doing the job for a lot longer and then sometimes the the stories like the, the horror stories kind of come up right and they talk about what was their hardest mission right and they, yeah and some of the stuff they, they see is just kind of blows you away right and how they it's kind of hard to fathom how they could be still standing there right but i find that all of us kind of coming together and talking about that stuff kind of helps me de-stress because then it's just like then it's like all these little things it's like oh it's not as big of a deal because everybody has experienced that type of kind of suffer that little bit of suffering i haven't gotten to that point where I haven't had the hardest mission yet. I'm still in training, like on my my last little leg of training, right? So I'm like training for to actually go on missions and stuff like that on my own now. And we're going to doing some crazy, like some crazy stuff, do some things that are like really sketchy. It's like oh, it's like oh yeah, that uh, that big rotor blade that you have there. It's like it's literally ten feet away from a boulder, you know, <laughs> you know stuff like that. So like. And it's only until you land and you realize and you get off the, the helicopter and you're like, holy shit, that just happened. Like, or uh, what was another one? It was a really bumpy day and then I'm just, the doors, the doors open and we're just kind of coming into the area to to kind of come in and for a land and it was really turbulent and then we, they had it bumped like that. I almost fell out, right? But, you know, I had my harness on so like I would have only fallen out so far but it was still like you're grabbing onto the side of the the helicopter going like oh shit right eric eric i love talking to you man you are <laughs> but anyway you but very um, animated oh yeah <laughs> man yeah that's more entertaining come on i love it i love it i'm getting the views man I'm getting the views <laughs> Good thing it's a video. but um yeah for 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 me for the whole entire mental resilience i find is again talking about it kind of taking in other people's experiences and then thinking about what would I do in that situation or would I just completely shut down? So, no, no that's good. And then I agree with you. Um, having those round table shares is, is awesome. Right. And it'll, it not only helps you de-stress um, and build the mental resilience, you can build off of what they say. Right. And a lot of people will tell you their exact coping methods, but you'll be able to, um, kind of build it yourself by how they reacted to it. Because there's only one, one thing in the world that we can control. It's how we respond to situations, right? We can't control that shitty things happen and we can't control how other people act. All we can control is how we respond. It. All we have is self-control. Yeah. That's it. So I'll jump on that with Eric there is uh, when I used to do public speaking for uh, PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress, drop the fucking D, it's not a disorder, okay? Everybody's got stress and shit. Um, so when I was doing that big campaign, I was doing a big speech there and I was talking to people and this guy came in at the, uh, middle and just kind of stood in the very back tall guy. Um, and as we were talking, he just looked very gray. 
So when you do talk like that and you're sharing these stories and stuff, some people, they can't handle what they're hearing. And they, they, they fit like I've had people pass out. I've had Padres pass out, you know, hearing what I was going through and stuff. And I'm like, Oh, this is, this is my normal day. And they're like, Oh, you know? Um, so what was going on? I was like, Oh shit, this guy's gonna, he's going to fall. He's going to thunder in. So I kind of was like, okay, we're gonna take a break here. You know, we'll resume. And I went back and I was like, Hey, how you doing? You you know, so you're a little late or whatever. He's like, Hey man, um, I really respect you military guys. And, uh, you're, you know, post-traumatic stress is, is real and I appreciate that. And I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress, but it's, it's, it's not real because I wasn't in the military. And I was like, hold on, let's, let's back this train up here a little bit. Let's, let's talk through this. Because, again, I like to talk as well. And I move my hands, Cole. So uh, <laughs> as we're talking, he's, he, I'm like, well, wh- what is that moment that you associate with your post-traumatic stress? And he goes, well, I was driving with some friends. And it's a very similar story, Okay. Um, his, his story is his, it's, it's not unique to him, but it's his story. And if you listen to it, you, you probably have friends of, or heard these other stories from people. So he's driving with his friends, uh, shitty roads, they crash, the vehicle flips. He watched his friends die. His last friend was dying in front of him and he was stuck in the seatbelt. Couldn't get anything like to save him. And he literally watched everybody die in front of him. And in his mind, that's not post-traumatic stress. <laughs> In his mind, I'm a civvy. Nobody was shooting at me. I don't deserve this feeling. And I was like, okay. See that guy over there? He's military. Military vehicle flipped. Similar situation. Nobody was shooting at him. He's fucked up. He has post-traumatic stress. And Buddy was like, oh. Oh. And it, it snapped for him. It clicked. And I said, why don't you go sit with him? Just chit-chat. And I introduced them, okay? And just by switching that verbiage for him, it did that. And then I had another situation where, because these ground, round talks are awesome and podcasts like this are phenomenal. This uh, lady brought her dad in. He was 83, Korean war vet, okay? He didn't want to talk to me. She's like, well, you know, so picture Korea and how screwed up that was. And he was a Canadian there. So you're Canadian in Korea reporting to Americans, whatever. He was also a medic. Okay. Pecker checker. He was, well, not sure. He checked more than peckers that day. Um, He was a sergeant. He didn't want to talk to me. He's like, I'm only doing this because my daughter asked me to come, come talk to you. And I'm like, Hey man, no, that's, that's fine. Like he never applied to VA his whole life. Nothing from VA. He's toughed it out his whole life. And I was like, hey, man, I've got a, a psychiatrist we can introduce you to. Okay. And he's like, yeah, yeah, no, no, I don't want it. Don't want it. And I was like, well, me as a sergeant, he's like, you were a sergeant? And I said, yes, sir, I was a sergeant. Boom. Five minutes later, he's sharing stories. We're both bawling our fucking eyes out. Three days later, I got him in with a psychologist. His daughter came in like two months later and it's like, he is a whole different man. So what Eric's saying, what you're saying here is, is awesome. Like that, that is the way to be. So virtual high five and uh, wave the jazz hands for Cole. Okay. That's my take on that. <laughs> no, that's per That's perfect. Like, so how, uh, let's go to uh, Burke. How about you? Like, how would you deal with, um, with like stresses and things that, you know, like mental, like things that you do to help, with your mental resilience or help kind of 
kind of de-stress like de-stress you or kind of help deal with a lot of these things that uh, like tough situations um, through my career and overseas there was a few things uh one thing that I always did and, and said and going back on it, it did work, but I always emphasize as working more than it did. But what I always say was if you constantly bitch about the little things, whether you like it or not, you're letting steam out of the bigger things. You know what I mean? And and that goes with the like the friendly banter you have with your friend too, right? Like you're bitching about whatever happened, but there's no big deal. But like you're letting that negative stress out, right? Uh, to me, that was a big thing. Um, and with that, for me, another big thing was journaling, to be honest with you. I'll use that cliche, but getting that thought out, writing it out uh, was all, was very powerful and productive in dealing with negative feelings, right? Um, besides that, there was a lot of things that I tried and did, but one of the most important things is having a battle buddy that understands you. You know what I mean? That 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 gets you. That understands why you're frustrated with that situation, because they're then they know what to say, right? Or not to say, or just put on that fucking show that both of you like, and then you just disconnect from the world, right? Having that one person that understands you while you're going through that negative moment is, is a very important thing. Um, but yeah, besides that, um, sport network and. I'm going to get into this when I'm talking about my um, my topic, but none of us practice this when we're in the thick of it. None of us practice this when it's happening, but it's knowing that whatever is happening in the moment is in the grand scheme of things is not a big deal, right? If you are breathing right now and then if you have the capacity to be angry and upset about it, if you have the capacity to process any of it, it's not a big deal. It's not because you're breathing. Um, yeah, uh, I'll leave it off there. But um, yeah, um, breathing though, man, breathing. Breathing is like the, the greatest tool in R2MR, like because mm -hmm. it centers you, it brings you back down to your normal uh, capacity to think clearly, right? Uh, but with breathing, I'll say having that battle buddy that gets you uh, mm -hmm. is a really important thing, and it. Some that worked out very well for me uh, overseas and home, and home and yeah, per perfect. Because I've actually been using the uh, what they call tactical breathing a lot, especially in my jobs, especially after after a job, like or if I say make a mistake, because I go always have an instructor over my shoulder right now, right, and they're always talking, so I hear them like while I'm doing stuff, I'll be like. I'll be like at my limit. So like, I'll be completely and utterly task saturated. And they're telling me, it's like, why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you doing that? And you're just like, I'm and you're like totally zoned out. And then you kind of get it done and you're frustrated and you know, like all the mistakes you made and you just kind of sit down and you're like, and you just kind of, kind of just breathe and just kind of let it. And because you got, you're going on to the next one. Cause there's some, guess what? You're doing another one. Right. And but uh, how about uh, let's let's move on to Rob. Rob, how about you? What did you uh, how did you kind of cope with, and how did you deal with like a lot of the the stuff? Let's go with the army because like your your army experience because Air Force it we've been in the same boat and it's just it's oh, as the kids say it's um, cringe. Yeah, uh, for me humor <laughs> humor you you can't be mad or stressed out if you're laughing. So like Burke said, bitching awesome great great vent for for that little frustration before it becomes big frustration 
But I found if you bitch in a hilarious way, you start cracking jokes, you're not only making yourself feel better, but you're you're helping everybody around you too, right? Um, and then, like Nate was saying, compartmentalization. For me, once it's out of sight, it's it's gone. It takes me 10 minutes to get over something that pissed me off to my limit, you know, just before that. But if I'm able to separate myself from it for even just a little bit, out of sight, out of mind, I completely forget about it, and I moved on to the next thing. Um, yeah, I said, I, and then being able to help somebody get through that time, that takes the focus off of like what I was going through. You help them and it kind of helps you work through it at the same time. So those are probably three of the best strategies I've found for, I don't know, decompression, just getting Uh, over that stress. Yeah. I just, just want to jump like on that. Oh, sorry. When, when he's saying about helping somebody else, like we've all done the military fun runs and you're struggling and you're like, oh, this is so stupid, you know, whatever. Terry Fox already ran it. I ran this with my kids and now I'm doing it for the army again. But when you have found somebody else who's struggling worse than you are and you're able to, like Rob is saying, give them humor and support and see them actually start running faster and breathing and doing the thing. Have you guys also, like me, found it alleviate some of your own struggle? Because now you're like, Absolutely. yeah, yeah, kind of makes it makes you feel good, right? Because you're actually yeah, doing you, something for for somebody focused. else for once, right? Yeah. Your mind's not focused on you; it's focused on them at yeah. that point. So, mm-hmm. what a perfect way to lead into our next topic that we're going to be doing with Rob: adaptability and the virtue uh, is one of the virtues, a cornerstone of a soldier. You have to be adaptable, and Rob, if you want to take it away and uh, go from there. Well, uh, so topic you gave me was uh, adapting um, for the transition to civilian life. Sure. <laughs> it's a little bit different. Um, but yeah, I found for the most part, like my military career was very stable. Like you kind of knew what you were going to be doing day in, day out. Um, especially once I got to the Air Force side, you know, it's very much like a nine to five job, essentially. Um, so changing to civilian life, you're kind of thrown into the weeds, especially right at the beginning. Cause you're not sure exactly what's going to happen next. Um, so for my example, uh, because you know, COVID hit and I decided <laughs> my own, uh, medical fate, uh, military was like, okay, fuck off. So it's kind of thrown into the deep end. <laughs> right. Uh, so I had to basically figure out my life from a dead stop, which was fun in a way because I could build it up the way I wanted instead of the way the military wanted, which was kind of nice. Um, but the tough part is, uh, once you're out of the military, you have less access to helpful sources for those transitions. Like you know, when you're in the military, you can go to the the Padre if stuff is going wrong with you. You can turn to your friends, turn to, you know, your leadership if you really trust them. But you get into civilian life, kind of don't have that. So that's where you have to have your, your core group of friends. And I found that's the friends that I made in the military were probably the, the best thing that came out of my military career. 
um, having those people that I could turn to. Um, yeah, civil life, you, you definitely have to learn to build your own community. Whereas, you know, military, you have your community around you, essentially guys that have shared those similar experiences. Um, yeah, there's a lot of civilians that you can link up with that have had actually fairly similar experiences, but it's not the same. It really isn't. Um, so yeah, I don't know. My, uh, my transition was interesting. I went from uh, single living in quarters, uh, you know, meals at the mess hall whenever I needed them. <laughs> and Oh, they're losing. Uh-oh. So he oh. basically went from living at mom and dad's house to yeah. you're on your own now. Sorry about that. It cut me off. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the steady paycheck in the military, but you go to civilian life and you get the hourly jobs where you get affected by weather. If you're not working, you're not getting paid. So it's it's tough, but I I absolutely feel more fulfilled. Uh, mm. doing the job that I am now than I did in the military because I'm doing it so, for myself. So honestly, you actually you hit all the nails on the topic I gave you about being adaptable. Right? You, you, to Pretty much what you said is to do what you had to do to get to where you are now, you had to adapt constantly. You went from something that where everything was handed to you, sugar-coated. It might not have been the best food, we'll say. We'll say, you know. It might not have been the best equipment, but it was given to you to... Yeah. Now you have to do everything on your own. And it wasn't like you had six months, a year, two years to kind of get ready for it. It was, you're doing it. Yeah. Semper Gumby, always flexible. <laughs> Semper Gumby, yeah. I, I can relate. I had 30 days from, from my release from like, you were broken and we want nothing to do with you to you're a stupid civvy. Yeah. And not civvies are stupid. It's, it's the vernacular we use. Okay. Um, yeah, it, and you're right because I, it was such a sharp 30 day slope. Um, I I didn't have a VA check or a VAC check or anything. Uh, my medical release was screwed up, and they're still 15 years later saying I'm. They even thought I was still in seven years later because they screwed up the release. So, oh yeah, they tried to charge me with AWOL. They're like, "What have you been for the last seven years?" So, anyways, okay. So I don't feel so bad about them fucking up my pay. No, dude, if they're not your pay, then you're not, they're not, you know, they're not trying. That's part of um, the course. So, like, I, I ended up getting the only job I could get because I was injured was selling suits at Fairweather's HM or whatever uh, over that Christmas. I crushed it, by the way. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I crushed it. The ladies were bringing their boyfriends back in going, thank you for making him look so handsome. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, that, but it didn't last long, um, the job. But it, you're right on, like, civvies don't understand like I don't share a lot of stories. So um, a lot of my, when I was married and stuff, the in-laws, they didn't know anything about stuff. My coworkers didn't know stuff. I couldn't grab and be like, Hey man, this one time I was out in the field, the troops we were on a defensive and uh, we went to set up some trip flares and we were playing with some MVGs. Cause we finally got the fourth gen ones and stuff or the fifth or whatever gen it was. And we weren't just using my Sony camera anymore. And this bear came out of the woods and the troops were in the middle of pulling the pins on the trip flares. I said, freeze. And everybody froze. And this bear comes sniffing over and I reached over and I bopped it on its nose and it fucked off and it set off the whole trip flares for everybody else. And we had everybody shooting at us and it was just crazy. Man, it was a blast. 
They don't understand that shit. They're like, you, you punched a bear in the face. No, I didn't punch him. I booped him. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I booped him. Just like Hoist Gracie and I were arm wrestling. I booped him on the nose. And they're like, no, that didn't happen. And I'm like, see? But there's, there's four troops that still tell the story for me. So anyways, you know, it, they don't get it. And when you come out of the military, seeing back to my last story of Buddy being all like, oh, well, if you're in the military now, you're serving me supplements. <laughs> and I'm like... Yeah, I should be in the gym fucking putting weights on the bar for you because of those scrawny chicken arms. But <laughs> you, you get this perception, right, that you should be better than what you're doing and the pressure. And that's where um, be, going from civilian life, like, you guys have a lot to look forward to. Uh, Burke's got, he's got his toes in it, but he's still young. So there's still hope for him because there's actually grants that he can get because he's not 40 yet to start his own business. Me, I'm 45 and I got a business idea that's a killer but I'm too old to get these grants. So there's, there's always something working against you, right? You're always in the wrong spot at the wrong time, but you got to push through it. And like Rob's topic of adaptability, <laughs> the plan goes to shit, but you still got to be flexible with it and look for other things, right? Like for me, there's three things I want to do in my life for the next 20, 30 years or, whatever, or five years, whatever I got left, right? Whatever time I've got left, because technically by the stats, I'm 45 as combat arms, I served as a warrant, you know, in a, with a platoon. I should be dead of a heart attack. Yeah, you're right. I'm five years overdue for a a major fucking heart attack, right? No, legit. So, Burke, it's a good thing you're doing that cleanse now, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) So, it's that perception of it. So, the three things I want to do is train dogs, work with horses, and make my fucking mead. Which means, okay. buddy, I make a good mead. Oh, you should see my stuff right now. Okay. So what I'm doing with that, and this is what I've learned after the last 13 years of my release and being a civvy, it's taken me this long to learn this and adapt to it by wanting to make mead. Okay. Now I need land because I want my dogs, my horses, and my bees. Okay. Okay? Now with my bees, I can then start renting them out to other farms. And that means, oh crap, I've now got three businesses that are my passion and I can start bringing friends into if I want where I can do it all myself and it goes at my pace and scale. Took me 13 years of, of, no, 10 years, 10 years to learn that as a city. I was not very adaptable, but I am now because I'm taking yoga. You will. Oh. <laughs> you better put some videos of that online. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's naked yoga, of course. Oh. Naked hot yoga. I got you. I got you. Hot <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, tough. Though. I mean, I'd I'd rather be where I am now than where I would have been had I stayed in the Air Force. Honest, honestly. What the fuck? You could be here in Moose Jaw with me, fucking being a snowbird. I could still be in <laughs> Moose Jaw, just not in uniform. <laughs> but here's the thing, though. Here's the quantifier, Rob. The most fear-impacting, scariest thing you can have going on in your life is being in the same place you were last year. It's true. That's true. That's very true. Well, that's that dog nipping at your heels, keeping you going forward at all times, though. Hmm. That's the way I look at it, at least. <laughs> right? Just keep rowing. Mm-hmm. Just keep rowing. 100%. Nice. All right. Uh, embracing the now and letting go of the past. As a soldier, we're supposed to be fluid and adaptable, right? So transitioning home from war zone to home sweet home, I'm going to let uh, Burke take the next section and 
Bert, why don't you introduce what you're going to talk about, and we'll have a round table after that. Absolutely. I feel like I got the, the worst end of the stick with the difficult one because I'm not a Buddhist, so let's let's get that out of the way. So I'm no Shmi on the subject, but um, <laughs> I was given impermanence and detachment. And um, I want you guys to think about that for a second, what impermanence and detachment means to you, because it, it can mean different things to, to, to a lot of people. Um, by definition, impermanence is the state or the fact of something lasting for only a limited period of time. Nothing lasts forever, right? Um, people can take that both ways, for the good or the bad. And, and, and I want you to keep that in mind because uh, the, the, the normal study of impermanence with Buddhism always talks about the positive side of things when you let things go. Right, like life is constantly changing. Uh, nothing that that you shouldn't hold on to good things because they'll they might not that they might not last, but they will not last forever. But I want you to think about that on the negative sense, as in the bad things that we go through don't last forever either. Uh, everything has a beginning, a middle, and an end. That is the cycle of life according to Buddhists, and that is the cycle of life for our emotions, and that's what um, impermanence is. Um, you know, the most basic example that I can give to all of you that um, that we can all relate to, that you can all relate to, is you're on that Terra Fox run or you're on that Brigade 20K rock or 30K rock or whatever, right? And you're like, oh, my God, my body fucking hurts. This fucking sucks. And you tell yourself, like, or or you're in basic training and this is your first time in it and you're suffering for real for the first time in your life you're pushing your body to the limit and your instructor's yelling at you if you don't do this you're going to die your body next to you is going to die you have to push through the pain and you push through the pain you teach yourself in that moment that that pain is only temporary it doesn't matter sure at the moment you're being told no pain no gain you got to do this yada yada but the truth of the matter is that you're teaching yourself that that pain is only temporary, that there's a finish line and there's an end to it. And once you get to that end, it's over and it's done and over with. We practice it. As soldiers, we practice this all the time. It's just in a different mindset. Um, now, I mentioned the the what I call the positive side of impermanence a minute ago, where good things don't last. Um, we all know those guys who get really comfortable in their positions right? And who, let's call like they're riding the wave and, you know, their career, they, they get that shitty posting that they never thought they were going to get because they were the Sergeant Major's favorite guy or the RSM's favorite guy. But now their life is completely thrown upside down because they weren't expecting it. You know, if that guy had practiced in Permians, he would be ready for that because he would understand that no good thing lasts forever. Everything has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, now, a lot of us have talked about uh, throughout tonight, uh, PTSD has come up uh, and everything. We get tunnel vision, right? When you're hurt, when, when you're in, uh, when you're in the bottom of that hole, uh, you know, your worst day, whatever it is that that triggered you, whatever thought that it is, your whatever moment that you're living, or whatever thought that's stuck in your head, we cannot let that go. A part of PTSD. At that moment, you cannot let that go. What's surrounding you at that moment is that this is who you are, this is what it is, and it's never going to change. But practicing impermanence and understanding impermanence allows us to shorten those moments, right? Sure, you still get triggered. Sure, you're still in that negative mindset at the moment. But the more you practice impermanence, the more there will be a voice in the back of your head or on your shoulder or whatever you want to call it that will tell you slowly, hey, hey. This is temporary. Something triggered you. 
You're just feeling something from the past. Feel it. Understand it. You will move forward. Tomorrow will be better. The next day will be better. Listen, you're still breathing. You're alive. That's why I think, you know, the Buddhism mindset of things or impermanence is very important to practice because the more you practice it, the more it becomes sub, uh, subconscious, the more it becomes second nature almost, right? So um, there's a word I'm looking for. Um, it becomes automatic thought pattern. You know what I mean? Like, um, it ends up being something you don't have to actively practice, but you're practicing subconsciously. Um, I mentioned it, uh, everything changes and nothing lasts forever. That's, uh, so rewinding back, that's your emotions, that's your thoughts, that's your feelings. And nothing is fixed or certain. Your relationships are not fixed. They're not certain. That marriage that you thought that was going to last forever, didn't last forever. Same thing with your job. I thought I was going to be in the army till the day I fucking died. 11 years down the road, here I am. You know what I mean? So um, we get, we all should be Buddhist to a degree because like, nobody teaches you at a young age that like not to get attached to things, not to get attached to moments, not to get attached to things, not to get um, attached to those feel good moments or um, not to get attached to the people that are in your life that make you feel good. No, we're not taught that. Those are things that we have to end up learning through pain and suffering, right? Uh, which I think is a dis, dis, disservice to humanity in, in a general sense. But, um, uh, sorry, I'm looking through my notes because I had to make notes because otherwise I'd just be talking about fucking bunnies and whatever. Uh, Squirrels and fancy shiny shit. Oh, don't bring up bunnies, man. <laughs> it's all right. Exactly. Um, you know, and... Uh, the other part of this conversation is, is detachment. Uh, detachment, by definition, is the state of being objective or aloof. Uh, let's, let's say uh, it's the state of being objective. And detachment is, or, or the lack thereof of attachment uh, in or with an, sorry, let, let me rephrase this. With detachment, I, I want you to think about this because this is the hard thing of detachment to practice. Um, it, it, we need to teach ourselves the lack of attachment to the outcome of things and situations. You know, this thing happened to me and the result is either good or bad. Like, okay, so let, let's go to the bad side. A friend died. My automatic pattern is that I have to go to a funeral and I'm going to be triggered forever, right? Like now I have that trauma that I have to carry with me. So we subconsciously get, um, not subconsciously get, but we are subconsciously locked into this um, idea that we are, that certain situations have fixed outcomes and we are stuck to those. Detachment with impermanence is letting that go, is knowing that um, every situation, everything um, is different and situation dependent. With that, I want to try to bridge this into, into a very important thing as well. Um, So right now, take a breath and let it go. Do it again. Take a breath and understand that you're taking a breath. You're, you're filling your lungs. And now let that go. If you were to hold on to that breath without ever letting go, you're dead. If you let go of your breath nonstop without breathing in, you're dead. That is one of the most vital lessons of holding on to things. Right. 
we cannot hold on to things. There's, there's a difference between teaching ourselves the deeper meaning of things, the deeper meaning of enjoying this moment, the deeper meaning of grieving for a friend, right? Versus being stuck in that moment and not letting ourselves breathe out and killing ourselves slowly because that just feeds into that negative cycle of trauma, right? Um, I kind of went all over the place. There was a couple other things I wanted to say, but I, I want to leave it there for now and just open it up to you guys. Uh, like, think, think of a moment that you were too attached to the outcome of a situation and try to remember what that made you feel like and how that made you react. And let, let's try to talk about that because when we analyze it, looking back on that moment, you know you could have handled it better, right? So the, the goal that we're trying to get to with impermanence and attachment is to make sure that the next time that something like that comes up, that we don't feed into that negative cycle. Right. And the only way we can do that is through reflection. The only way we can teach ourselves not to be attached to certain things, especially when we're talking about negative emotions, when we're talking about PTSD and trauma, um, is reflecting and teaching ourselves why we felt it, how we felt it, and why not to do it and how not to do it again. So I'll, I'll leave it at that and open up the floor to the rest of you guys. Damn it, Nate. So I have a question. <laughs> I have a question. So if if I have a whiteboard on my desk where I write down all my failures that make me mad, is that me letting go or is that me holding my breath? Um, <laughs> asking for a friend. Asking, asking for a friend. So I hear no. what you're saying and I, I agree. It's, it's not just a Buddhist thing. Uh, but yes, that's one for Nate, by the way. So um, radical acceptance is what I, I practice in, in this. It's this same, same, different, same, same. Um, it's not a religious aspect. It's just a rational, um, it's a thought process. Okay. So it's realistic and it's not um, a higher power thing. It's just radically accepting that this is the way it's going to be. And the same echoing what, what Burke just said is with radical acceptance is I accept that this happened. I accept that there's nothing I can change about it. I accept what I've learned about it. I understand that these feelings are just temporary. And sometimes those feelings aren't even mine. They're feelings from those that have gone through it around me and what they're projecting. Okay. Uh, once you realize that it's that way, man, you can do that self-check so fast and you can train and condition yourself. It's just as fast as changing a mag or, or doing a press check or, or if you want to do the shooting terms or whatever, um, or, or just you know, applying the brakes on your bike to make the right turn. It just, it's become so quick. If you are doing the radical acceptance and saying, okay, this isn't mine. I don't own this, or I don't have an expectation of the outcome. Because as soon as you have an expectation of the outcome and it goes the other way, you get frustrated, you get disappointed. Mm -hmm. You feel these, these anti positive feelings, these Absolutely. anti energies of forward movement. And the one thing that drives me bonkers is when people are like, you're being too aggressive. Okay. Are you using the word aggressive properly as in forward movement or in I'm rawr, the Hulk and I'm smashing stuff like aggression, aggressively moving towards your target is allowed. 
And people mm-hmm. are like, well, you got to change the word into something else and da, da, da. And I'm like, as you change the word, it changes the meaning. Okay? Words matter. They do. And radical acceptance has taught me, and I've only done this for the last couple of years, like the last year. Yeah, the last year. As of like two weeks ago, I can honestly say this. I have practiced radical acceptance, and it has changed so much for me. Um so hearing Burke do this with, with the, the uh, Buddhism and stuff, you know, knowing that he doesn't have a whiteboard in his office, it's reminds me that, Hey, I'm on the right path. And that echoes what Eric said earlier of these round table talks, you know, and that radical acceptance gents is a game changer. Cause as soon as you're like, okay, yeah, you're still going to have your mom- moments and your triggers and stuff. And you're still going to be like, Rawr, but you're going to snap through them so much faster. It's not going to last weeks. It's not going to last, you know, hopefully not days. You know, the triggers might just be one day, you know, of insomnia and just be like, okay, okay, whatever. And you process this and you get through it. But that means that in 20 years, if I make it another 20 years or 30 years, those triggers are going to be like just flash pans of moments, you know, just that magician's flash paper, just quick. And it's going to be, oh, yeah, okay, cool. Move on. You know, where's my teeth? What? What? Okay, cool. And that's so cool that Burke's, you know, a Buddhist that rides a bicycle. No, no, he's not a Brutist. Well, let's, let's be clear I'm just teasing him. I'm just no teasing him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's what I have to say is the radical well, acceptance. Um, and, and it's like I, I had to accept one thing that I thought was good for me was my gaming. Like I – just a slight brag. I was in the top 0. 0.0 no, – yeah, 0.002% of Warzone season, you know, back a bit. Uh, I was an awesome plunderer, but what was happening is I was playing it too late at night. So my heart rate and my anxieties and stuff where I thought I was doing good. And I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. I wasn't sleeping and I was getting like four or five hours of sleep. And I put a heart rate monitor on my wrist and I was like, holy shit, <laughs> like this is screwing me up. And I had to accept that. So I had to accept all these outside factors and be like, okay, here's the routine that's going to help Nate live longer. Right, you know the the fruit cleanse and all that healthy eating, but also the timetable of what I do in a day and when I do it. You know, um, I only play an hour a day. That's it now. It's every day, but it's only an hour, right? And I hit the gym five times a week. Like I have to work out, where my triggers are more like so. That radical acceptance isn't just with certain little things. It has to be everything in life. It has to be across the whole board. And this last year, I have practiced what Bert was saying and what I'm trying to convey. And it has literally been a game changer for me. And I wish I had done it 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Like it would have made my career clearer to me. It would have made raising my kids. Actually, no, raising my kids, I was fucking awesome at. So we're just going to leave that alone because my boys are Renaissance man and they are fucking beasts. That's it. Okay. So uh, the one thing I did right in my life, but having that radical acceptance, I wish I had bumped heads with Bert 20 years ago and had this conversation because it did change the last year and the things I've accomplished and what I've got going on now, like totally doing that. I've got aphids on my plants right now. Sorry. I'm not having a moment. Mr. Miyagi. Um, (laughs) Burke, when I was researching this one for your topic, um, I, it was something that I wish I learned a long time ago too. I think it would have helped me. 
especially when I did that transition from Army Air Force, because something that Nate said earlier about touching the tree, right? You know, work mode on, work mode off, you know, being able to just switch it off. I don't know if maybe basic just hit me in a different way than other people, and maybe because the artillery is big on history, but I just couldn't turn it off, right? I was, you're a soldier 24-7, seven days a week. You get paid 24 hours a day. If they call you in, you know, you'd be proud you go in. And when I when I got to the Air Force and those people were just definitely not that way, not that yeah, way at all. Less duty, more honor for the Air Force. Right. I was, yeah, I, I, I couldn't handle it. I, I couldn't figure out how to detach from those thoughts. And it drove me, it drove me nuts, right? Uh and it, it, yeah, it took me down a dark path. And only now, like I'd say in the last few months that I really started looking into this. Um, and that's why I wanted to bring this into this, this podcast when I, because it does help when you can switch it off, when you can departmentalize, be like, okay, you know what? Work mode, home mode. I can have, I can enjoy myself at home. I can enjoy myself outside and not have to worry about work. Right. It, it makes life so much more enjoyable because you don't have to try to be hyper vigilant hundred percent all the time because you need to take a break. You, you have to. And like you said, it's not that bad. You can't be constantly questioning what you did in the past for the mistakes that you made, trying to figure out how to fix the future when the future hasn't happened. Cause all you end up doing is missing what's happening right now, right? You lose the present because you're so fixated on fixing what you did before. So it doesn't happen again that right now just goes away. That's my, so I want to, I want to add on to that if I can, because you know, my last few years in, I didn't practice any of this. And I, and, and I was in therapy at the time, right? Like the, the few years before I left uh, the CAF. And it was, everything was about work. Everything was about duty. And one of the, looking back on it now, one of the main reasons was that, was it was my way of building that armor around, like that compartmentalization was wrapping myself in work the, the the trauma from overseas and even before and even before going overseas it, it was such an ugly beast inside of me like the the best medicine for it was being hyper vigilant still and being all wrapped up in work um, you know if the home life didn't matter if everything was about work then everything was about work and you just gave yourself to it and you saw the results from that you know what I mean? And the home life deteriorated, but that didn't matter because everything at work was going great because you were giving yourself to your work. It's an ugly situation. I did it. Uh, it definitely resulted in my marriage going in shambles. It would have anyways. It just was faster. Um, but one of the, the the worst side effects of it was leaving the military. And you guys touched on it, that whole purpose and everything thing, right? Um, but leaving the military and not, having that purpose, not having that job, not having that thing to make my life and my identity about was was one of the, the, the biggest problems. Not one of the biggest. It was the problem, right? Because didn't know how to replace that. Didn't know what to replace that with. So you, and I see guys doing this all the time. We go on this massive journey to figure out what to fill that hole with, you know? And it ends up costing guys... <laughs> not just money, but time, but their energy ages us. And we make a lot of fucking mistakes during this time of transition. Uh, and I, I wish I knew, I wish I knew. And my 
release from military was different than some guys, you know, like the doc said, all right, your hands are not going to work in 20 years if you keep doing this. So medical release. And I was like, okay, what are my options? At the time I was in regimental headquarters and my, my warrant at the time, uh, Sergeant Major at the time, I was ready to fucking kill. I was legitimately ready to kill. Uh, like, I'm a company man, right? Uh, duty before self, man. Like, you, you put on the uniform, it's duty before self, right? And being the ops and training master corporal at the Dragoons and seeing the back door, like, close behind the doors bullshit of management, it, it just fucking killed a part of me. Right, this is the best guy for this course. Nah, I don't like him. We'll send this guy. Shit like that, just, yeah, you know. And I was like, "Fuck it, VR." Six months, I'm fucking out of here. One of the yep. worst decisions because I kept doing my job until the month before. I went to JPSU a month before my release, and I released. I didn't even get my mug out. Nothing. No goodbyes. Yeah. No certificates. Nothing. Right. It was a bad decision, but but I had to at the time. Or I felt like I had to. Why because, was it a bad decision? I'm gonna challenge you. Uh, why? Uh, because I ended up fucking myself over. I How? didn't go through. I didn't go through Manulef. I didn't go through CISA. I literally went from uh, military uh, and uh, serving to non-military VAC and paycheck through VAC. Right. And VAC had lied to me at the time. I thought I was able to leave the military and go to school. That's what VAC had told me, right? Mm -hmm. But that's under the CSIP. That's under CSIP. Nope. But I didn't. Well, that's the thing. I know. If I had medically released. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, if I if I had medically released, it would have been completely different because it would have taken me uh, two, three years to release. I would have been in JPSU for a year, two years or whatever, I would have gone through manual life then. I would have received my first paycheck through manual life and then they are obligated to educate me through there, so on and so forth, right? None of that happened. None of that happened. I so, didn't get, I didn't qualify for education until I, I a year ago. But here's why it was a great idea. Because I was in the same boat. I had a sergeant major who had haunted me most of my career when from when he was a warrant so then he was back down to a sergeant. Then he was a warrant again. Then he finally made it to a master warrant officer. Lied to the uh, career managers and cost me per, uh, postings that would have helped save my kids from their abusive mother because we would have had to been forced in the court because of a posting. Okay, so there's a, there's a lot more. There's a huge ball of onion there. But where I'm going with this is it was the right thing for you because you were in such a toxic place that you needed that cancer to end. You That's needed true. it. I won't, I won't deny that. You're absolutely right about that. Yeah. JPSU, bless the guys that think they're doing good, but they're not. JPSU is a cesspool of you are micromanaged by people that can't soldier anywhere else. Okay. Come at me, bro, if you're in JPSU and you think you're doing a good job. <laughs> we'll talk. Okay? I'll put that out there. I stand by they what I'm saying. They don't even exist anymore, do they? JPS doesn't exist. It's like the transition unit or something yeah, like that. Yeah, right? well, whatever they are. Okay. But back called. in at my time, I was I was sent to JPSU because I disagreed with my sergeant major because of his shit. It had nothing to do with the injuries that were found out later. Okay. So as they're trying to put me in JPSU, I was like, screw this shit. I'm not going to wait around five years for a medical release to come through, because my medical release, I was granted it. 
Then they lost the paperwork and I still not received a penny from that. CISIP still owes me money because of the medical conditions I was in. They'll never pay it to me. I had to fight with VAC. Okay. But I was taken out of that toxic environment where guys were going and offing themselves because they couldn't handle the shit that was going on. So I, I challenge you to accept the fact radically, but wipe this off your whiteboard, that it was the right thing for you to put in your VR because accepting that right now is going to change your mindset for everything else. Because once I accepted, Hey, I had to get out. I had to fucking be gone. It changed things for me. No, you're right. All these, all these years later, like I used to be like, man, I only made it to Sergeant working as a warrant. Like I was supposed to be promoted to captain and CFR. Like, Oh, what it could have should have rainbows and unicorns and you know, dragoon fucking shit. Like <laughs> zipper heads are nice. You guys have your purpose. Okay. You got the shiniest boots out there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> whoa, 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 At least whoa, you're whoa. not strats. At least you're not oh, strats. Yeah. Okay. You got some gravy drinking strat. <laughs> gravy is a beverage, not a side dish. I learned right. that from the dragoons. So oh, unfortunately, yeah, it, it's true. Yeah. Though. But Great, getting back yeah. to it though, accepting that in the last few years, because like I said about that guy in the store, it was like, I, I was released. My career sucked. Like I was like you, I thought I was going to jump out of a plane one day and just dissipate into the fucking ether. Like I never expected to be out of the military. Right. But accepting that I had no control over it. And it was the best thing to get the fuck out of there in 30 days because they were toxic. I wanted out and I was, my friends were dying around me. The Anderson brothers, bless those boys. Okay. Look them up. Those two brothers. Like it, it, it's fucked up. So please do not beat yourself up for the decision because you could have had this money or this money, money fucking comes and goes. You're still here because you got the fuck out and you had the balls to do it the way you did it. A mug out who fucking cares. Everybody's slapping each other on the ass. Oh, Sergeant major. Thanks for being my Sergeant major. Oh, RSM. Oh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> you know, like seriously, my mug out was like, they give their little speeches. Everybody's all doing their thing. And I'm like, yeah, this is going to be great. And my kids were there too for mine because they, I got called in on the day and my Sergeant major, the one who was haunting me gets up there and his speech was he's leaving us for higher education. I've been in that unit for three going on four years. I'd run the biathlon program, all this stuff. Like I've won citations and stuff in that unit, not a single word about it. And I looked at the Sergeant majors. I looked at the troops, my peers and everything. I said, gents, Sergeant majors, you know, me man, a few words. And I walk the fuck out and I don't look back because it was the right thing. I was being disrespected. So why did they deserve my respect? And guys came up to me afterwards and were point. like, holy shit. You know, the guys who were truly my tribe, truly my friends, the other guys, fuck those guys. <laughs> and I love this expression because I used to be a former fat guy. It doesn't change the price of my sandwiches. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't right so please radically buddhist accept that you did the right thing for you at the time because now now you're you here with us mm -hmm. yeah you're here yeah, with true, true. who the fuck doesn't want to be with eric cole not so much but eric Come on, on, right on. rob's awesome <laughs> yeah, but you, you have the girlfriend you have the daughters you have the shit that you have now because of that decision when you made it so anyways i will i will I'll never deny that I'll, yep. I'll never deny that. You're absolutely right. Like, I, I'm a firm believer that I am in the moment today because of all the decisions that I made in the past. And you That's change it. one thing, you're not here anymore, right? So, yeah.
Hindsight is a bitch, though. Yeah. Well, let's be honest, but, right? But, but can, you, can you change it? There's no sense in wasting that energy no, looking no, back at not. something that you can't yeah. change. The, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you. The only way I'll challenge that is, uh, because I'm a reflective person, the, the only good thing that comes out of self-reflection and beating yourself about those decisions mm-hmm. is maybe the possibility that you can stop somebody else from making that decision in the past. Because if you okay. dwell over it, if you analyze it, you might be able to, especially in this scenario mm-hmm. where you're helping guys transition, right? Exactly. Yep. So that's the only good thing that comes out of it, right? And uh, the or reason I say that is because uh, I, I've had you know, quite a few conversations with guys who are leaving or thinking about leaving, guys who haven't talked to them forever, and they just literally Instagram, they called me up and they're like, I'm thinking about leaving. What do you think my options are? What do you think I should do? You know what I mean? And that kind of means the world to me because these are guys that yeah. I like, still have the PDRs and PERs I wrote for. You know what I mean? Like, so. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the thing is now you've done the recce. And exactly. sure, you, you fucked up here and there on the course, but you know it now, right? So you're, and this touches back to Eric's thing is having, to, when we were recce guys, you had to be three times fitter than everybody else because you had to go find it, come back and then lead them back out to it. So mentally you're stronger because you fucked up, fucked up, fucked up, fucked up. How many times can I say that? Right. And then unfuck, 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 and then lead them through it. So it's great. Now just don't beat yourself up about it anymore and just realize, okay, I need to tell somebody because nobody was there for me to tell me, stop, take a breath, breathe. Right? See how I tied that together, Cole? <laughs> wow, you did, you did excellent. This is why I bring you around. There, Cole. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're start wrapping up now. Uh, is there any final words from any of you? Anything you want to say to people, like, especially because like the whole premise of this this episode is about transitioning, whether it's transitioning coming home from deployment or transitioning from the military to civilian life, or even just transitioning from your job to retirement, like. Everything we've talked right now, anybody can use these these coping mechanisms. Anybody can use these examples. It doesn't mean you have to be military. You can be a police officer, be an EMT. You can just be somebody going from their office job to becoming or to retiring. Right? Like you're going to have to adapt, and things can be scary, but it, they're not going to last forever. Final thoughts? Anybody go? Find the humor in a situation. Find find that that you can laugh at and it's going to take a lot of stress off you. Talk to somebody. Whatever it is you're thinking, find that person that's going to open ear and talk to them because at least talking about it, doesn't matter what you receive in return, hearing yourself talk about it will help you process no matter what. Even if you have to talk to a fucking mirror, talk to a mirror because no matter what you're thinking, hearing it, having it come out of you is clarity. Right. So your journey is your journey. You can see the path that others have taken. You may be on their, some of their path already. You're not walking their path fully. Your path may branch off of those that started with you. Doesn't mean you can't go back and talk to them. Like you're saying, talk to people, your path will lead you to where you want to go. And sometimes you have to walk it alone but there's others that are either in front of you or behind you or alongside you on that path. Even if you feel you're alone and, but it's still your own path. Eric, anything? 
Ah, no, Burke kind of stole my <laughs> stole my <laughs> idea there. So I was like, oh, I'll keep talking to people. Damn, because yeah. Uh, the other thing I could say is like, don't close your. Uh, also, don't close yourself off completely, right? Yeah, it is. It, it might be your path, but uh, just be open and don't be afraid to to talk to others, even if sometimes like again. If they don't get it, you don't get anything out of it. At least you got something, right? Just to hear yourself talk. Exactly. That's it. Right on. All right. We've covered some real life ways to combat the combat we need to leave in, to leave the field. These tactics can serve as guides in transitioning from battlefield to home field. Reflect on these insights and consider how they can help shape your journey. Again, I want to thank all my guests for coming on. You guys were amazing. Um, I'll be reaching out to you uh, shortly to ask you to come on for another podcast, if you're willing. Right. So, everybody, good night. Thanks for having us. Good night, everybody. That was awesome. Take, Take care. care. Yeah, it was. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to the Viking Psychology Podcast for more deep dives into important topics. Remember, in the modern battlefield of life, a warrior's strength lies not in just his prowess but in the unwavering resolve to wield honor and integrity as their mightiest swords. Until next time, stay resilient, everybody.